is the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. What are you talking about? No, it's not him. There's only one more. There is only one more. There's, there's, that's it. One more. Get around. No. They saw your team. Put up zero effort. Wake up. Remember in the old days they used to have oxygen for them. Where's the oxygen? Play like absolute just garbage. <laughs> this is the Sports Loud Mouse. Yay! Man, can you keep it down? I'm trying to introduce here. With Errol Marks and Speedy Beanie. You're not even a has-been. You're a never was. You're a never was. February 15th, ladies and gentlemen, 2023, Super Bowl 2023, or will you call it Super Bowl 57, now over, Patrick Mahomes spending his weekend at Disneyland. Yes, ladies and gentlemen, it is a new show of the Sports Loudmouth. I'm your host, Errol Marks, my co-host, Big Bad Speedy. Petey. Did I say that right, Speedy? Sure. Are you, are you big in your bed? Uh, I don't know if that correlates, but I don't mind being called it. <laughs> I think you're big and bad in your own little way. 631-672-3108 is the number to call. As always, you can go to our website at www.worldwidesportsradio.com. Check out all our shows throughout the week, including our great stories that we post up every single week. Kyle Williams is one of our better writers as well, and he's based out of Jamaica. He's fantastic. He really is. Some of his stories are great. So check out his stories on our network. Check out all our shows throughout the week. They are live shows. You can call our shows at our number, 631-672-3108, and you can interact with all our talents throughout the week. Speedy Petey, what's up, man? Well, had a fun Super Bowl weekend. Stuffed myself big time. My mother made a chili, and we actually put it in tacos along with Velveeta. So mm. a very good combination of that. We I had, had chili, too. You had chili as well? Very mm. nice. Yeah, she makes a very good chili. She she puts it in a uh, in a crock pot, so it's actually sitting out there. Everybody for like, puts their chili in for a like crock eight pot. hours, but she does it a fa- she does a fantastic job with it. We also had some wings, a lot of a lot of beer, and a bunch of other stuff. But it was it was a fun time. It was my uncle, my grandparents, and my parents. What kind of beer, by the way? Uh, I it was two roads. They're a Connecticut brewery. They're based out of Stratford, and it's one of their loggers. I forget <laughs> the name of it offhand, but yes, it's a Connecticut based. You beer and company. your beer. Man. Yes, it is. Uh, it was one that I I tried I, when I had a. A festival at my school. I tried it, and I always liked it. So it's always been my favorite Connecticut brewery. Is uh, is Two Roads beer? So it's yes. a Connecticut beer. It is yes. It's based out of Stratford, Connecticut, mm. which is in the I've been to Stratford. Parts. Yeah, it's nice over there. Mm-hmm. But uh, uh, it was an interesting, interesting weekend. A lot of sports to get into. The NBA All Star Game, which will be uh, interesting this weekend. Which I I don't care about the All Star Game. I really don't. I, I like the slam dunk contest, the three point. Uh, contest and all the different contests that they have on Saturday. But even that, I believe, is just whack sometimes. Because you expect a slam dunk contest to see things that you never seen before, but half of these dunkers do the same thing every single year. So there's nothing unique about it. But anyways, uh, as everybody knows, at 8 o'clock, uh, if you haven't seen the post all over social media, uh, we will be talking to 12-year MLB catcher and current West Michigan's White Caps manager, he's been on a show before, Brian Pena, fantastic guy, he really is. And at 9 o'clock, for the first time on our show, we will be talking to Eagles and Philly Spanish language broadcaster Oscar 
Boo Dayhan. So he's going to be fun. Uh, it'll be fun. It, it will be really interesting to see his thoughts and, and, and really his terminology. And there's a lot of terminology in uh, the referees and the play, the, the calls at the end of the game, which I think could be uh, Arian Foster-like, as everybody knows. Uh, but at 8 o'clock, we'll be talking to Mr. Brian Pena. And at 9 o'clock, we'll be talking to Oscar. Uh, we will get into the Chiefs knocking off the Eagles 38-35 to at Super Bowl 57. Uh, it was an interesting game, but was it rigged? And I have been, you know, if anybody listened to the show last week, and you listened to Thursday's show, and I, I picked the Eagles to win, but I also said... That if Kansas City wins, I pretty much called everything that was going to happen in the game. So we'll get into that in just a few moments. Derek Carr demands a release from the Raiders after saying he wouldn't or would not accept the trade. Um, obviously wants his decision to be his own on where he wants to go. There's quite a few teams that are going to be in a market for a quarterback. And we know the Saints really want him. But uh, there could be other teams. Carolina, the Jets. Uh, the Buccaneers, there are a lot of different teams looking for a quarterback this offseason. Now that Tom Brady's gone, Zach Wilson will be uh, hiking the bench. Not sitting the bench, hiking the bench because he, you know, he's not going to be hiking a football, that's for sure. Uh, the Eagles offensive coordinator Shane Steichen uh, becomes the next Colts head coach. And Eagles defensive coordinator Jonathan Gagnon uh, becomes the next Cardinals head coach. Uh, so both Eagle uh, coordinators go elsewhere this offseason. Where are the Eagles going to go uh, at those uh, coaching positions going into the offseason? So the Eagles, which were one of the best teams in the NFL, went to the Super Bowl, and now, ladies and gentlemen, could be looking for a new offensive coordinator and a defensive coordinator. Patrick Kane says he is willing to move his no-movement clause to be traded to the Rangers or the Leafs. I've been saying this. I've been calling it. That uh, no, it doesn't matter that Vladimir Tarasenko went to the Rangers. I he was really upset that Tarasenko went to the Rangers and he didn't. But I believe Patrick wants to go to the Rangers. I think he wants to play with Panarin. Um, so I still believe that the Rangers are in play for him. And uh, as uh, the trade deadline becomes closer, which is a couple of weeks away, I I do believe uh, the cost of Patrick Kane will go down, and he will go where he wants to go. And I think it's more likely the Rangers than the Leafs. Frankie Montas will undergo shoulder surgery, will miss more than half the season. So uh, I, I don't know what the Yankees' plans were with for, for Frankie Montas this year. I do believe he was their fifth starter. Uh, does it hurt the Yankees' rotation? No, because Domingo Herman will be going in, uh, going into the fifth spot. So does it hurt the Yankees that they lost Frankie Montas? It only hurts their trade last year uh, on trading away the three young prospect pitchers that they sent to Oakland. So uh, uh, we'll see what his shoulder is when he gets a little bit healthy after his surgery. I, I didn't believe he was healthy going in. Um, to his first game as a New York Yankee last year. So we'll, we'll get into that. And MLB confirms new rule changes, which will be this 2023 season, including a pitch clock and banning the shift. So we'll get into that a little bit later in the show. So why don't we get into it? And I've been saying this over and over and over again. And I'm not going to sit here and say, hey, 
every single game in the NFL is rigged. I don't know if I believe that. And I know Arian Foster, some people believe he was just making it up. He wanted to stir up some stuff in on his podcast. Whatever. I don't know what the truth is. But we've heard this over and over and over again. Not just from the NFL and some of the players, but from other executives that have said that they believe that the game could be scripted. I don't know if I believe that the season is scripted, but I absolutely believe that the NFL Super Bowl every single year could be rigged. And I got into it early last week saying that the Eagles are the better team. They're flat out the better team going into this game. And Patrick Mahomes, high ankle sprain, uh, three to four weeks of recuperation for his ankle and then getting hurt again against the Bengals in the second half. It didn't look good. And then going into the Super Bowl, getting hurt in the second quarter, limping off the field in the second quarter. I believe that was, to me, just a, a way that Patrick Mahomes was showing that he was going to make this miraculous comeback in the second half. Patrick Mahomes is the first player in NFL history to win two Super Bowls and two MVPs in the first six seasons. He's the first. That statistic won't change when people are trying to compare him to Joe Montana, which people are saying that he's better than. After five seasons as a starting quarterback in the NFL, he's better than one of the greatest quarterbacks to ever play the game in Joe Montana, who never, by the way, never lost in a Super Bowl. Never. Four Super Bowl championships. This is Mahomes' first Super Bowl where he did not have a turnover in a game. Now, did Mahomes have one of those fantastic games? Did this game stand out statistically for Patrick Mahomes? I would say no. 21 for 27, 182 yards, three touchdowns. Travis Kelsey is a beast of a man. We all know what he is. Pacheco ran the ball very well. 15 carries, 76 yards, a touchdown. That kid is going to make himself a lot of money. He is a rookie, but two years from now when he's a free agent, at the age of what, 25 years old? If he keeps playing like this, and and Andy Reid knows how to find these running backs. He knows how to find these running backs. He found Kareem Hunt. Kareem Hunt was middle of the draft. Kareem Hunt became one of the best running backs in the league in two years. Doing what he did, or he was caught on TMZ, was let go by the Kansas City Chiefs, and he was picked up by the Browns. We all know the situation of Kareem Hunt this year, where he was trying to be traded at the trade deadline to another team so he could have made, he could have made a Super Bowl run. But he's a free agent this year. If you look at what Patrick Mahomes did in this game. He spread out the offense. Travis Kelsey had a pretty good game. I, I know everybody sits here and you know, it's not 100 yards, but six receptions, 81 yards, and one touchdown is a pretty good yard, a pretty good game as far as I'm concerned. Juju Smith-Schuster, seven receptions, 53 yards. Fantastic game for a guy that's coming back from an injury. That wasn't 100% healthy. Patrick Mahomes is one of the best quarterbacks we've seen come out of the draft in about 20 years. There's no question that he is. The only two players that had more than three catches and more than 50 yards receiving for the Kansas City Chiefs were Juju Smith-Schuster and Travis Kelsey. Jalen Hurts broke the record for most rushing yards in a Super Bowl with 70, breaking a record held by just Steve McNair, who had 64 with the Titans. And I'm not going to compare... Jalen Hurts 
to Patrick Mahomes. Because if you want to compare the game and who had the better game, it was Jalen Hurts. It's not even an argument. Jalen Hurts, a guy that had shoulder problems, he was slinging the ball in the first half. Slinging it. Did he have much on it? He didn't have much on it. You could tell when he was throwing the ball up there, he didn't have much on it. That touchdown that he had to A.J. Brown was fantastic, by the way. Mm -hmm. It was fantastic. Jalen Hurts was 27 for 38, 304 yards, one touchdown thrown, three touchdowns ran ran by Jalen Hurts. He had four touchdowns in the game, three by himself. He's the first quarterback to do that in a Super Bowl. And everybody keeps talking about, oh, is Patrick Mahomes the greatest quarterback we've seen since Joe Montana and Tom Brady? Uh, is he going to be you know, declared the GOAT after he's done with his career? I do believe the way the NFL is set up that Patrick Mahomes at the age of 34, and that means Patrick Mahomes is 27, 28 right now. In the next five to seven years, Patrick Mahomes will have five Super Bowl. Five Super Bowl championships. You know why? Because this is the way the NFL likes it. They like their stars. They like the face of their organization to stand out from all the rest. And I'm not taking shots at the NFL. Every organization. Who's the number one player right now in the NBA? As far as faces are concerned. Voices of the game. LeBron James. LeBron James. And until LeBron James is gone, he will be the voice of the NBA. He is the face of international sports and basketball internationally around the world. When you think of hockey, who is the face of hockey right now? Connor McDavid, I would say. Connor McDavid and who? Sidney Crosby. Sidney Crosby. And right now, Connor McDavid is starting to take over. Oh, yeah. But Sid, he is recognized all over the world because of his big mouth, his game, and his game is as good as any game we've seen a hockey player have since guys like Mario Lemieux and Wayne Gretzky. Not to mention his team hasn't missed the playoffs since 07. <laughs> I mean, and he's a leader. But every single sport, even baseball. Now, Mike Trout's the best player in baseball. When healthy, there's nobody better than him. But baseball's different. Because Mike Trout, no matter how talented he is and what he has done for baseball and how good he is statistically over the last 10 years or whatever, eight years of the way he has played in, 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 in time of the greatness of what Aaron Judge did last year or even the times of what we've seen from guys like Pedro Martinez as a pitcher or guys like, I don't know, Justin Verlander at the age of 39 winning a Cy Young on the Houston Astros, who, by the way, won another World Series championship last year. But as Verlander recognizes the face of baseball, he's not. The guy that's really looked at as the face of baseball right now is probably Aaron Judge. Because he plays for the Yankees, because he's six foot eight, 280 pounds of brute strength, and he hits 62 home runs in the American League. Now, going back to the Super Bowl, Jalen Hurts joins Terrell. Davis as the only players in Super Bowl history with three rushing touchdowns. He's the only quarterback. The only quarterback. You're talking about some of the best running quarterbacks in NFL history. Steve McNair was a pretty good runner. He never had three touchdowns in a Super Bowl. Randall Cunningham, who never played in a Super Bowl. Warren Moon, good running quarterback. Never had three touchdowns in a Super Bowl. Russell Wilson, never ran three touchdowns in a Super Bowl. If we go up and down... Of all the running, rushing quarterbacks that played in the Super Bowl. Heck, 
played in the playoffs. How many quarterbacks have run three touchdowns in the playoffs? I think only Kaepernick that I can think of in that 181-yard game. (laughs) When you look at those numbers, Jalen Hurts had one of the best quarterback games in Super Bowl history. And even though his numbers don't really stand out like Tom Brady with over 500 yards in the Super Bowl against the Philadelphia Eagles, or even Foles throwing uh, 370 yards and winning the MVP that year over Tom Brady and the New England Patriots, or Drew Brees, or Tom Brady the year, you know, all the years that he played in the Super Bowl and how many MVPs he's won in the Super Bowl. This is one of the more special quarterback games we have seen a quarterback play for a losing team. The Eagles running backs collectively average only 2.7 yards per carry. During the season, in practically every single game, they average over four. They were the fifth best rushing team in the NFL. Going into the game, everybody expected the Eagles to run all over the Kansas City Chiefs. And I guess the Kansas City Chiefs were listening to this show or listening to every other show because Nobody would have thought that this Chiefs front seven was going to stop the running game of the uh, of the Philadelphia Eagles. There was only one total sack in the game by the Chiefs defensive tackle Saunders. After both teams led led the league at number one and number two in sacks, Devontae Smith was the only wide receiver that had a hundred yards in this game, despite a high scoring game. Patrick Mahomes has 24 first downs on quarterback scrambles in his playoff career. More than double than any other active quarterback. Sky Moore and Isaiah Pacheco, second pair of rookies to both score touchdowns in the Super Bowl, joining the 1985 Bears when the refrigerator, Perry, and Reggie Phillips did it. The Eagles only pressured Mahomes at a 25.9 percentage rate, their first time since week 12 when they didn't have a pressure rate over 34% or higher. The Eagles dominated the ball, dominated the ball in the first half, almost 21 to 22 minutes in the first half, while the Chiefs only held the ball for eight minutes. As a matter of fact, the Chiefs only got the ball with two minutes left of the second quarter. The Eagles controlled the ball the whole second quarter. And yeah, Jalen Hurts dropped the ball, which was a little fishy if you watched that play. I don't know if anybody watched that play and how he dropped the ball, how it just fell out of his hand like that. How many times did Jalen Hurts fumble the ball this year? How many times? I can tell you this, not many. And not as bad as that. According to Pro Football Focus, Patrick Mahomes had 100% adjusted completion percentage. Jalen Hurts had the most rushing plays of over 10 yards and scored either a first down or a touchdown on on two-thirds of his carries. The Eagles' offensive line played very well. They really did. It wasn't the Eagles' offensive line on the reason why the Eagles lost. Now let's get into why I thought the game was rigged. And everybody keeps talking about the, this Bradbury uh, penalty at the end of the game, which put, them, which put the Kansas City Chiefs in field goal range. That wasn't the only reason why I thought this game could have been rigged. Now, 
A lot of people are going to sit here and say the game wasn't rigged. As a matter of fact, I was at I was at a Super Bowl party and everybody told me that if I'm going to keep yelling this in the fourth quarter after the game ended. And by the way, everybody on social media, Twitter, Instagram, every social media expressed their feelings on why they thought this game was rigged. As a matter of fact, I had two friends that called me and said they're never watching the Super Bowl ever again. Especially if the Kansas City Chiefs and Patrick Mahomes is in the Super Bowl. If you look at the game as a whole and how the game was moving, the domination of the Eagles' defense in the first half, does anybody remember what happened in the Patriots and Atlanta Falcons Super Bowl? How good was the Atlanta Falcons in the first three quarters when their defense was just absolutely outmatching the New England Patriots' offense? Completely. James White couldn't run the ball. They couldn't throw the ball. Edelman couldn't get open. Gronkowski couldn't get open. And Gronkowski got hurt in the game. Everything started to happen in the fourth quarter. If you watch the game and just watch, watch how the game was moving, the pace of the game, and how crazy certain, thing, th- certain things happen in each quarter, especially in the second quarter, when the Eagles dominated the ball. And if Jalen Hurts didn't make that that drop and that that touchdown run, run in by the, the Kansas City Chiefs defense, the game would have been out of reach before the second half of the game. And then it really started to happen in the third quarter with three minutes left of the game, uh, of the third quarter. Everything started happening. All of a sudden, the Eagles' defense couldn't stop a nosebleed. The front seven, by the way, this defense, which everybody was saying that this was arguably the best defense in football, I'm talking about the Eagles, they were horrible in the second half. They absolutely fell apart in the second half. And I I hear everybody saying, well, who did the Eagles beat this year? Who did they play this year? These are all NFL teams. I don't care what quarterback you played this year. And Patrick Mahomes, automatically, you see Patrick Mahomes get hurt in the second quarter with, what, two and a half minutes left of the game uh, of the the half? He's limping off the field. You see his face and and, and the the face signs of, wow, this game could be over because we might be seeing a backup or two come into the game because it's not going to be him coming out in the second half. And what did we see? Patrick Mahomes came out in the second half not limping, hopping, running, throwing out of the pocket. All of a sudden, Patrick Mahomes had a second life. He looked great, fantastic, untouchable. That this defense, after getting out of the pocket and moving out of the pocket, couldn't catch Patrick Mahomes. His limping leg. All of a sudden, Patrick Mahomes is fine. And everybody says, he got caught his own shots. He took pills. He took this. He took that. He did the same against the Bengals. And going into the second half, he was hobbling. Same thing happened. Patrick Mahomes couldn't get out of the pocket against the Bengals. All of a sudden, this guy's jetting up the field, throwing the ball, making passes that a quarterback who can't throw on his back leg can't make. How is this possible? Maybe he was faking it. Maybe the Kansas City Chiefs didn't want anybody to know that he wasn't 100% hurt. Because you want to know something, anybody that has a high ankle sprain, anybody going into this game two weeks before this that couldn't even, he couldn't even throw off his back leg 
or throw off his front leg in certain aspects of the game. If he couldn't do that in that game, how two weeks later he could do it in the second half as good as anybody in the league? That defensive call at the end of the game, it shouldn't have been called. You don't do that in the Super Bowl. Was it a penalty? It probably would have called, be called a penalty in a regular season game. But in this game, in a Super Bowl, when it's a tie game, and it's all about really field goal to field goal or could go to overtime or could cost a team a championship, you don't want to see a game end like that. This same thing happened in the fourth quarter against the Bengals. Was it a penalty? 100% was. Would I have called it when it was, what, 50 seconds left of the game? Absolutely not. You cannot put a team in position to lose a chance to play in the Super Bowl and then lose the Super Bowl because the great Patrick Mahomes is playing on the other side. I don't care what the NFL says, and I don't, I don't know if the game was completely rigged, but it's kind of fishy that all these things happen in the second half of the game. And everybody says, well, Andy Reid is great going into second halves and figuring things out and changing, uh, changing the way they play, formations and all this other stuff. Andy Reid was playing the same way he was playing in the first half. The, the same way. Run first on first down, throw second, throw third, and if, you're, you're, if there's two or three yards, you run on third down. He did it the whole game. Go look at the numbers. Go look at the pace of the game. He didn't change anything. How did the Eagles, all of a sudden, their defense fall apart? Because they were tired? Give me a break. They barely were on the field in the second, in the first half. And what happened to Darius Slay, the great Darius Slay? And by the way, who was taking Travis Kelsey? How could you put a safety? Why did you double team Travis Kelsey? You make sure that Travis Kelsey doesn't beat you. He beat you the whole game. Everybody's going to say you only had one touchdown. He was all over the place. He was blocking. He was in the running game in certain plays. Blocking for the running backs. He was open the whole game. If Patrick Mahomes wanted to throw him the whole game, he would have thrown it to him the whole game. And I think the Eagles' defense did enough to did a, a little too much to try to game plan out of Travis Kelsey, and th- he did so well in the first half that they had to adjust to that. And it, it almost looked like they overcompensated and made the rest of the defense really uncomfortable. Because you're right, without a four man rush, pass rush being able to get there, the Eagles' defense definitely showed that they're vulnerable in certain areas, especially like you said, the strong safety spot, which is where Travis Kelsey got the touchdown in linebacker spot. Kaiser White, Mar- T.J. Edwards, not great players they stopped the run at certain points but then the Chiefs started running in the second half because they were they were overcompensating for that and Darius Slay kind of got motioned out of place a lot of the time too people were talking about it last week the Chiefs did the same thing with a lot of pass rushers but they did a lot with Darius Slay in that fourth quarter as well especially on that Kadarius Tony touchdown and it really took him out of his game too so Andy Reid did do a good job exploiting that but you're right the Chiefs concepts were not were very different it weren't very different in the second half. It was just the players they used that really threw off the Eagles. And to me, it doesn't matter what player you use. If you know how he's running his offense, you clog up the middle and make Patrick Mahomes throw. They let Pacheco, at some point of the game, dominate. Mm-hmm. Dominate. And he, he didn't run... I'm saying he didn't run like 20 yards every time he touched the ball, but he got five yards here. He got six yards here. He got 10 yards here. 
And, and if you look at his numbers, he didn't have like over 100 yards. But 76 yards to a team that has beasts. Their front seven is as good as any front seven in football. When you talk about Cox and Adamican Sue, and by the way, where was Adamican Sue in this game? Taking penalties. Where was he in this game? Where were some of the defensive players that we thought were going to have Hassan Reddick dominate the game in the line of scrimmage? Hassan Reddick couldn't touch. He couldn't touch Patrick Mahomes. As a matter of fact, nobody could touch Patrick Mahomes. That this offensive line, and by the way, this offensive line is good. Kansas City's offensive line is good, but it's not great. Brown is not a great left tackle. He's a good left tackle. He's a good left tackle. The guard play, the inside of this offensive line is okay. Not great. Nick Sirianni in the second half, I don't know what he was doing defensively in this game. And the fact that Gannon got a coaching job at the end of this game, the way he called this game defensively, the Eagles should be ashamed of themselves. Yeah, a lot of Eagles fans love it. A lot of Eagles fans don't like Jonathan Gannon the way he coaches this defense. He was horrible in the second half. Mm-hmm. And the, horrible. And the Chiefs completely took out the Eagles' interior, too, where it just became less of a concept as a whole, too, and really forced the older players on the outside. Brandon Graham, who's not an every-down defensive lineman anymore. Somebody like Robert Quinn, who's really only a rotational guy at this point. And then Josh Sweat, who's their one young guy, really have to attack everything. And yes, Orlando Brown as a pass-blocking left tackle is pretty average, but as a run blocker, he's fantastic. And where did Pacheco get most of his runs was to the left, and Andy Reid kept exploiting that matchup very well. And the interior, like you said, they're, they're not supposed to be amazing on paper. Creed Humphrey's fantastic. Trey Smith's a good guard, but this is a tough interior line, the deepest in the league, and it really had no, no adjustment. There was no A-gap pressure. There was no, maybe put a heavier formation in if you're Jonathan Gannon. Put three defensive tackles on the field. Maybe get wear them out that way and then do a surprise blitzer. There were no adjustments whatsoever. There was no adjustments. Absolutely zero. And Nick Sirianni, and I respect him, the, him crying at the national anthem. By the way, it was one of the, Chris Stapleton sang one of the best national anthems I've heard in a very long time. Since Whitney Houston, it was fantastic. You felt it. And I'm not going to go into the halftime show. I don't care that Rihanna was pregnant, that everybody was posting it all over social media. I don't care if Rihanna was lip singing. I don't care. It's just entertainment. It's just a show. But that's what the Super Bowl is. It's a show. It's the World Wide Sports Radio. I, I, I Sport Wide Sports Radio. I almost said that by us. It's, word, it, it's the WWF or the WWE, whatever they call it. World Wrestling Entertainment. It's sports entertainment. The way the game is played now. The game was supposed to start at 6.30. The festivities started at 6. The game didn't start till 7.15. It took an hour and almost 15 minutes before you start the game. The coin toss took 20 minutes. Yeah, they have to make everything ceremonious. I mean, I understand everybody in the world is watching. I understand. And it's entertainment. And the NFL wants to make money. They want to sell their commercials. They want to sell everything to a T. But we're watching it for the game. That's why we're watching it. We've watched football all season long. And then there are people that don't even watch football that are rooting for Patrick Mahomes. Oh, I love this guy. This guy's a superstar. He's the next Tom Brady. 
His story is completely different than Tom Brady, ladies and gentlemen. He was drafted in the first round in the top 10. Tom Brady was drafted in the sixth round. This isn't the same story as Tom Brady. Andy Reid and the Kansas City Chiefs traded up for Patrick Mahomes. Traded up 17 spots. It's not like Patrick Mahomes was a surprise. A surprise is he's this good. Right. But not a surprise that he was a talent. That's why I sit here today and I know everybody likes to all now all week are going to talk about this game and say, well, this could have been this could have this could have should have happened or this would have could have should have happened. It's it's all back and forth. And if I was the coach, I would do this. And if, if I was the offensive coordinator, I would have done that. I would have changed the, the speed of the game. I would have ran the ball more. I, I'm, not, I'm not a coach. I'm not going to sit here and sell to you guys, I've got the magical way how to beat the Kansas City Chiefs and Andy Reid. And again, you're also going to see so many different concepts used from both teams, too. Because the Eagles were doing a lot of different concepts, too. The, the main issue was the Eagles just weren't being able to get the running defense and rushing offense with their running backs going. Jalen Hurts was fantastic running the ball. The problem is their running backs were not doing well against that Chiefs interior, which is a much beefier interior than what they had to face with the Giants and a lot of what they had to face throughout the year. Outside of the 49ers, which they ran the ball well in the NFC Championship game, they really didn't face a line with that kind of size with Chris Jones, like you're saying, Kalen Saunders, Derek Donnie. These are all 315-pound-plus guys. And even their ends are pretty big, too. Carl Loftus, Frank Clark, they're all over 270 pounds. Carl Loftus played a good game. He played a very good game. Yeah. And you're looking at a case where Miles Sanders, who's an under-200-pound running back, Kenneth Gainwell, who's a smaller running back, too, it was just tougher for them to get the consistency in that running game going. And a lot of people were saying last week, too, if the Eagles don't get a lot of rhythm running the ball, it has been harder for them to get a full-length offense going. Now, that didn't happen. The Eagles still scored on the first drive. They were throwing the ball tremendously on that first drive. And they still had enough rhythm in the first quarter, but it did not sustain really after that. Now, the Eagles had the time of possession. You're right. The Eagles dominated time of possession the entire second quarter, but they still, they were struggling a lot. They still had to go to third down a lot. It wasn't that consistent, all right, we're going to pound it down your throat kind of Eagles offense that we're used to seeing, and that was the bigger difference. The Chiefs, when they ran the ball, they were efficient, and they kind of did it in a more surprising manner in the second half when they were trailing, which is not normally Andy Reid's forte. You're right, he's great at finding running backs, doing running plays, but he sometimes can get over-aggressive at times, too. He does. He, he gets very over-aggressive in certain aspects of the game, but when you have a quarterback like Patrick Mahomes that can make every single play and, and every single throw, and he's supposedly was... 100% healthy in the second half, magically, I mean, then you're going to win the game. Jalen Hurts played a fantastic game. That's a surprising story. That's a great story. Mm-hmm. For everybody that took shots at Jalen Hurts all season long, saying he's not the guy, they're they're going to move on from Jalen Hurts in the offseason. They have two first-round draft picks. They have the Saints' first-round draft pick, which is going to be a top-10 pick. Everybody said they're going to give up on Jalen Hurts. And then Jalen Hurts had the season that he had. And by the way, he the way he is on fourth downs, fourth and ones, I mean, I think he was like, this season, he's 35 for 37 or something like yeah, that. Yeah, he's relentless. It's unbelievable how strong he is. It really is. He's one of the strongest quarterbacks in the league. As everybody says, he squats 600. How many quarterbacks squats 600? How many quarterbacks in history can squat 600 pounds? How many players in the NFL can squat 600 pounds besides the offensive linemen and defensive linemen? Not many. Jalen Hurts is a powerhouse, and he proved in the Super Bowl no, no game 
No specific game is bigger than any player. Mm-hmm. Definitely. And when you judge a 30 to 38 to 35 game, it was the first game in NFL history where both teams scored over 30 points in the Super Bowl. So you definitely can't look at that and say, all right, Jalen Hurts did anything wrong necessarily there. It just, again, the Eagles with the way the penalty happened and the way the Chiefs were able to run down the clock, they have no time left so they had to really try something crazy and they tried Jalen Hurts trusted his arm strength to draw a penalty that didn't work, but again it was really the coaching and mostly just the lack of a regular raw running game to help him to really get other areas of the offense going. And congratulations to Andy Reid. Okay, congratulations to him. He It's well deserved one of the greatest offensive minds the NFL has ever had. He's very well respected around the league a very nice guy. Very nice guy. And and for a guy that nice and that special of a coach, and, and Andy Reid's been going, he's gone through things as a head coach, losing his son to suicide. Right. I mean, he's been through so many different things and still has accomplished all the things that he wanted to as a head coach. And even what he said about the Eagles after winning the championship and knocking off the Eagles, the specific, uh, you know, Ownership of the Eagles and coaching and and how special and they'll be back next year. Everything that he said at the conference, at the press conferences, stating how special the Eagles of this of a season the Eagles had this year. It's a class act. Mm-hmm. He's a classy person. I sit here today and I'm not happy that the Kansas City Chiefs won. They remind me of the Golden State Warriors. Mm. That's who they are. They are the Golden State Warriors of the NFL now. Everybody wants to love them, but everybody hates them. I've heard the Mahomes-Curry individual comparison. I've been saying this over and over again. I know you did. You you weren't the only one. There were a lot of people saying Mahomes-Curry individual comparison. I always they love playing with their mouthpieces. (laughs) They sit on the bench like nothing affects them, and then they go out there and (laughs) they talk their crap on the field. Even though everybody says Mahomes don't talk. Watch when he scores a touchdown and he walks off the field. What he is saying to his teammates and everything. Read his lips. Yeah, Mahomes isn't really cocky off the field, but on the field, yeah, he definitely can He's be a loud. cocky player, man. He definitely can be loud. Uh, ben says uh, Lemieux is the hockey goat. Uh, Snug says you'd, I be, think su- so too, by the you'd way. be surprised 40% of Super Bowls have a defensive touchdown. Uh, they were already in field goal range. Yes, they, it was more the time that hurt the Eagles at the end of the game because the Eagles could have had a more sustainable drive if the penalty wasn't happening. They were in field goal range, but it, it would have been like a 50-yard field goal. It no, it would have been a chip shot. Like It was about an extra point length, but what it was is the Eagles would have had a minute 50 or something like that to be able to drive down the field to tie the game. The difference is they the Chiefs were able to run three more plays and run the Was it a chip down. shot? Where yeah, was it? it was It was pretty easy. It was, they were in the red zone, the Chiefs, at the time when, when, were they? when the penalty happened. I want to say the 12-yard line or something like that. It was a third and five, and they, they, it would have been a very makeable field goal. What it was was really the timing, though, because that if you play watch, was run at 156. If you watch that play, the, one of the Kansas City Chiefs offensive linemen were holding one of the defensive linemen. There was no penalty there. Well, yeah, that would have been offsetting penalties in that case, so they would have replayed the down. So t- tough to tell what would it would have stopped there. the clock too, right? It would it would have uh, yeah, they would have stopped the clock at one fifty four or whatever it was snapped at. So the Chiefs would have ran the one more play if they got the first down. Then that scenario that ended up happening at the end of the game would have happened. Maybe the Eagles let him score because the Eagles did try to let him score after that. Jarek McKinnon was smart and went down, but still, yeah, that stuck. That was the difference where the penalty hurt them. It wasn't really the yards of the field goal. It was more the time of the game too. It was the same. Kind 
kind of thing with the Saints and the Rams. Why that penalty was such a magnitude of it is because the if the Saints got that first down, they would have been able to run the clock down to either 20 seconds and kick the field goal, or like the Chiefs did in this Super Bowl, or they would have been able to score a touchdown too, which made it harder for the Rams with one timeout. It was the same kind of scenario here because the Eagles only had one timeout after the penalty. Uh, Stug said, so if it's all rigged, bet as much money as you can get together and get rich. Don't you know, tell if people I, your secrets. If I bet the game, everything that I called on Thursday, that if I said Kansas City was going to win, they were going to win by a field goal, I said that. I said that the Eagles were going to dominate offensively in the first half. I said that, Speedy, did I not? Mm-hmm. All the way into the fourth quarter, and then they were going to be up either 7 or 10. Going into the fourth quarter, they were up 6, if I'm not mistaken. And... And then what happens? I said, Patrick Mahomes, uh, you know, the special part of Patrick Mahomes games show shows up in the fourth quarter. And I'm going to sit here today and I'm not going to, I don't know if the game is rigged. I, I don't know, but I, I have my own thoughts to it. It does bother me that everything that I called was going to happen, happened. If, if I said, if the Eagles lose, which I picked the Eagles to win, everybody that listened to the show, I picked the Eagles to win because they were the better team. But I said, I wouldn't be surprised if Kansas City wins, and I explained why. And then, by the way, Kansas City took the easy way out at the end of the game. Kneeling and doing what they did, that was the easy way out. Everybody wants to see the Super Bowl. They want to see a miraculous thing happen in the Super Bowl. I understand that you're trying to win a Super Bowl, you're trying to win a championship. I understand. But to do it that way, that's pathetic. That's pathetic. Snook says, you know, I have no idea what drugs they pumped into him full of at halftime. Well, who knows? Maybe that'll be an investigation the next... This is Patrick Mahomes on PEDs to save his ankle at halftime. Who knows? I don't know. It's pretty PEDs lu- take a long time for it to go- circulate through your body. Uh, I don't know. It's pretty lucrative to win Super Bowls. You'd be surprised how much we can endure for the right payoff. I wish that Mahomes had kicked the game when he field goal with the injured ankle. That's the stuff of legends. Mm. Uh, Kenny says, hey, now. It's not naturally By the way, Kenny. happy birthday to the geese man. Oh, Kenny, happy birthday. Happy birthday to you. Quack, quack. Happy birthday to you. Quack, quack. Happy birthday, dear the geese man. Quack, quack. Happy birthday, Kenny Rainier, the goose man. Yeah, but you know what it is? I don't know if that's a goose sound, but, you know. It's... Uh, I figure I'll trust you with the, uh, the sound like effects. Sounds like a duck. It, it's more like a duck, but a goose. Don't give Kenny ideas. He might start chasing ducks at this rate. I don't know. I mean, geese are only a little bit bigger than ducks. I mean. Uh... I, know, I know. I'm just saying. Kenny already got uh, banned from one YouTube. Kenny already got banned once on YouTube for chasing geese. You don't need to be on YouTube for chasing ducks. That would now. be interesting if <laughs> yes, Kenny was doing that. <laughs> yes, I know. Uh, Stug also said. Not only is he a good coach and a nice guy, but he also looks the most like a walrus. <laughs> so the Worldwide Sports Radio Network is rigged as well. Maybe. Maybe. Uh, Jalen Hurts is so good. This is a fair point. Mahomes could learn to do the shimmy like Steph Curry, respecting Mahomes. No. You could have that I swag. don't want to see that. You could have that swagger when you do as much as Mahomes does. But Mahomes does a dance. He does a, the same dance every single time he score, scores a touchdown. He does the same dance. Mm. Go look at it. Yeah, no. They, Remember Cam they, Newton? They've been Cam doing... Newton used to do the same thing when, right. he, when he made it seem like he was Superman mm-hmm. when he would score a touchdown. Right, or he'd do the dab that one yeah. year too. Yes. Yeah, mm-hmm. but you're right. They he kind of has done the same one this year. When Tyreek Hill was there, he used to create all new ones for them, and they didn't. Now he's traded, so they didn't really do that much uh, as much anymore. This Travis year. Kelsey does his. You know, I, by the way, Travis Kelsey's dance when he scored the touchdown, and I think it was the first quarter. Yeah. That was fantastic, by the way. Mm-hmm. Travis Kelsey, 
He's got swag, baby. Oh, yeah. He's got swag. I, I know all the women were watching the Super Bowl. People that don't even watch the Super Bowl were watching it because they, they, they feel that Travis Kelsey is so hot. Oh, I yeah. mean, they, they needed somebody to take over that because the – like you were saying earlier, like a lot of people were watching the Super Bowl because of Tom Brady for a while. Now all the like the women my age love it with uh, Joe Burrow last year. Joe and, Burrow, now yeah. Travis Kelsey. And now, so they needed somebody for this year. Dude, and you know how many TikTok Kelsey. stuff they were posting up on Instagram and TikTok of Travis Kelsey after he wins, wins his second Super Bowl? Yeah, I can believe that. I mean, it's crazy. It mm. really is. But uh, congratulations to the Kansas City Chiefs. Well-deserved. Uh, again, uh, the NFL needs to look at uh, – some of the, the calls in the AFC title game uh, against the Bengals in the fourth quarter, I think they were horrible calls in the fourth quarter, which probably – and by the way, all the games that the Col- – I'm sorry, the Colts, the Kansas City Chiefs have won from the AFC title game and the Super Bowl were because of field goal kicks. They won by three points. Just like the Bengals last year. They won all three points. Except for the Raiders game. All three all both of their other two wins before the Super Bowl, they won on, on game winning both field Both games too. that they won were by three points and because of bad penalties by the calls of the referees. So I don't know if the NFL is involved with it, but again, it is what it is. Now it's the offseason and there's going to be five to six quarterbacks that nobody would have thought were going to be available, now available. Derek Carr, as he was released yesterday, uh, congratulations to Derek Carr. He, and the Saints didn't have to give up anything because a lot of people believe that the Saints, being that they had two meetings with Derek Carr, are one of the lead teams to get him. Now what you're hearing with Vegas, it's the Buccaneers. And the Carolina Panthers and the New York Jets haven't haven't even really spoken to Derek Carr. But what I've heard from David Carr yesterday on his podcast and on his ESPN show saying that Derek want there's only four teams that Derek would be interested in playing for going into the offseason. He wants to play with a team that has a top ten defense, a good offensive line, not a great offensive line, a capable offensive line to protect them, weapons on the outside. And a decent running game. And he wants to call the plays at the line of scrimmage on third downs. If he needs to call an audible, he wants to be the guy. Josh McDaniels would not let him do that. He would not let him do that. Good job, Josh McDaniels. And Josh McDaniels wants a scheme-fit quarterback. And that's why Aaron Rodgers isn't going to the Raiders. So everybody that's sitting here thinking that Aaron Rodgers is the lead guy to go to the Raiders, it's not going to happen. If he had problems with Derek Carr... What do you think he's going to have, Josh McDaniels is going to have, if he has Aaron Rodgers? Mr. Night Stalker. Again, nobody's saying that the experiment of Josh McDaniels and Aaron Rodgers is necessarily going to It's not going to happen. It's, uh, even if it does happen, it's not going to work. It's not. It's not going to happen. I'm telling you, it's not going to happen. Either Aaron Rodgers goes to Green Bay or he goes to the Jets. He could stay with Green Bay and play one more year with Green Bay and then either decide to retire or he could retire. He's not retiring because he does not want to go into the Hall of Fame with Tom Brady and J.J. Watt. Now, he says that's not the reason why. He still thinks he has a couple of years left in the NFL. I can't see any other team. Everybody said it was the Raiders or the Jets. I think the Jets are going to make the biggest play for him when he comes back on Friday. Salah and Joe Douglas and Woody Johnson will fly out wherever Aaron Rodgers is. They're going to speak to Aaron Rodgers and his agent, persuade him to come to play in New York for two years, help Zach Wilson develop, 
be the face of the franchise, and help this franchise win a Super Bowl, which they haven't won in almost 53 years. By the way, Joe Namath came out and said that if Aaron Rodgers comes to the Jets, he will take his number 12 out of retirement. He will let Aaron Rodgers wear number 12, which maybe takes the curse. Steals the curse away. That's, that's one way to do it. You guarantee victory, and the Jets haven't made it back to the Super Bowl since. But uh, we've seen other other players and other teams try to do that since then, both in New York and around the country with their championships. And I don't know. That'd be a f- interesting full circle if that ends up happening. Derek Carr forces uh, his release from the Raiders. Will not accept any trade requests from any team, including the Saints. Carr was owed forty point four million dollars in guaranteed money. Uh, for the remainder of his contract with the Raiders. The Raiders now have $32.9 million in dead cap against uh, them for this season. Carr last season had 3,522 passing yards, 24 touchdowns, 14 interceptions with a completion percentage 60.5 and 7.2 yards per attempt with an 86.3 passing Yard rating. Carr is a four-time Pro Bowler who is a franchise all-time leader in most significant passing categories, including yards, 35,222, touchdowns, 217, and a quarterback rating of 91.8. Carr can join a new team starting March 15th, the official start of NFL free agency. Uh, Carr's agent, Tim Younger, said in a statement, we wish the Raiders Best of luck. This is a tough part of the business. That's the point. It's just a business. Time now to reset for both sides. Derek chooses to hold on to many good memories and friendships without any ill will. Uh, That's who he is. Onward and upward. The Saints are the only team Carr has met with due to his relationship with the head coach, Dennis Allen, who was his coach his rookie year in 2014. Uh, the Panthers are very interested in him, as the Panthers are set to uh, be the next team to give Carr a visit, as Carr has a good off-the-field relationship with Frank Wright, and Buccaneers are the betting favorites to land Carr at plus 250, followed by the Panthers plus 350, uh, Saints plus four, 450, and the Jets plus 600. Carr said uh, of being traded... I don't think that would be the best for me, Carr said, during the inaugural Pro Bowl games. Carr has only missed four games in his career, two to injury and two to Josh McDaniels, making him inactive at the end of the season. Carr has 35,222 yards passing and 217 touchdowns and 99 interceptions in his career as a law, an Oakland Raider slash Las Vegas Raider. So we sit here today, and I, I, I know a lot of people are saying, well, why aren't anybody talking about the Jets sitting down and talking with Derek Carr? Derek Carr isn't their number one option. And the Jets have a couple of weeks to sit down with Derek Carr. If I were the Jets right now, I would sit with Derek Carr right now. Kind of figure out how what both sides want and what both sides are looking for. And see if they meet you know, halfway with these thoughts. Because if you don't, you're putting all your eggs in one basket with Aaron Rodgers. You don't know what Aaron Rodgers is thinking. Aaron Rodgers is hanging out in the dark for the next couple of days. He'll he'll be back on Friday or Saturday. And then the Jets have to make their move pretty quickly. Because the Green Bay Packers, for what we have heard, 
is looking to trade him. I would not and I will not trade two first-round draft picks and a second, which people are saying uh, he's going to be worth uh, or what the Green Bay Packers are looking to get for him. Yeah, no way Joe Douglas will ever do that. I don't think he will do, he will do that either. I think the Jets need to sit down with Aaron Rodgers, with the agent, and, and just discuss on what Aaron Rodgers wants. I, I heard on the Pat McAfee show on Aaron Rodgers' thoughts with the Jets and, and Zach Wilson that the Jets have their starting quarterback. I think what Aaron Rodgers wants to do as a player and what he is trying to do is win his second Super Bowl and take his name out of the discussion that he is an overrated player. Right. And until he wins that second Super Bowl, he's never going to be compared to the greats, to the guys like Joe Montana, even Peyton Manning. Mm -hmm. Eli Manning won two Super Bowls and beat him in the NFC title game. Mm -hmm. Beat him in the playoffs another time, too, in 2011. So he needs to win that Super Bowl. And why not win a Super Bowl with a New York team that hasn't won in 53 years, hasn't been to a Super Bowl in 53 years, has not been in the playoffs for over 13 years, and you become the savior of New York football for the New York Jet fan. If you bring a championship home to the New York Jets, you become a god here in New York. You're Derek Jeter-like. That's what you are. You're Willis Reed-like. Walt Frazier-like. We could go up and down. Phil Sims-like. Lawrence Taylor-like. Michael Strahan-like. You become bigger than those guys. Just for one Super Bowl championship. The Jet fans have been craving for, for years. As a matter of fact, all I want to see as a Jet fan is them playing a Super Bowl. I don't care if they win the damn game. Yep. Most of, that, most of the Jets fan age group is definitely like that. Too. I just want to see him play there. Because a lot of the majority of Jets fans are not I don't want to see that. them lose. Well, I mean, of course. Want to see your team lose. Of course. You at least want the moment. Do you, like, uh, like yeah, was... Of course. We see the Giants do it. The Giant fans talk about it all the time. We beat the undefeated Patriots. And then in 2011, we beat that great Patriot team. That some people say was even good, as good or even better than the 2007 Patriots. We hear it all the time. Right. Uh, before we go to break, Ben says, uh, Bucks hire Seahawks quarterback coach Dave Canales as the offensive coordinator. Snug says, Panthers got a mess of draft picks in the trade for CMC. Well, they're not going to have the trade for Carr anymore, Snug. Uh, I, I wouldn't count on those couple of weeks. That's uh, why Carr is the most, uh, I, I think the when you look at the quarterbacks that are available right now, mm-hmm. Carr's the biggest one on my list. because yeah, as he should be. Because to me, even though when you look at what Carr's ranking is as far as uh, you know, offensive points and, and what he has done in, in, in his career with Oakland, he's ranked 23 in his career of offensive points out of any quarterback in the league. So right. th- those aren't good numbers. And he is going to be asking for at least 45, 48 million a year. That's what Carr is going to be asking for. With Aaron Rodgers, he's still under contract. The Jets can, you know, speak to Aaron Rodgers and say, listen, we want to bring Quinn Williams back. We want to do this. We want to be do that. We can, we can, Give you your money, but we'll spread it out in a four-year span where you could still get your money. Right. So I, I, I think that's another thing that the Jets need to talk to Aaron Rodgers with because they have to pay Quinn Williams. So it's going to be in a very, very interesting offseason for Derek Carr, Jimmy Garoppolo, Ryan Tannehill, which everybody keeps saying the Jets are interested in. He's the last guy on the Jets list 
to get. And I, I saw that the Jets brought the Titans offensive coordinator in as a as an offensive mind for you know to help uh, Nathaniel hack it out. They didn't. It had nothing to do with Ryan Tannehill, by the way. And had nothing to do with Derek Carr because his connections with Derek Carr. Nobody there. The Jets brought him in because they thought he fits in that in that coaching room, the coaching staff, bringing in guys that have achieved and and have been good coaches in this league before they got fired. When we come back, we'll be talking to twelve-year MLB catcher and current West Michigan Whitecaps manager Brian Pena here. On the Sports Lab Mouths. You're, you're, you're listening to the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. This is the Sports Loud Mouths. We are back, ladies and gentlemen. You are listening to the Sports Loud Mouths. 631 672 3108 is the number to call. You go to our website at www.worldwidesportsradio.com. Check out all our shows throughout the week live. They're not podcasts, but if you miss it live, ladies and gentlemen, you go to Apple Podcasts. You can check out all our shows as uh, they're from top to bottom in a row by dates. So if you miss anything during the week, uh, you could check it out on the weekend. You're driving home, you're you're a truck driver, you're a doctor, you're a lawyer, whatever you're doing, and you, you want to check out our shows, go check us out on Apple Podcasts, Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Our first guests, yes, of the week. Uh, we haven't had him on for a few months, but uh, we love this guy, and he, he's a guy that knows his baseball. We're now talking to 12-year MLB catcher and current West Michigan Whitecaps manager, Brian Pena. Brian, what's up, man? Hey, how you guys doing, man? Thanks for having me. Happy New Year. Excited to be here with you guys. And as always, I appreciate this, this opportunity. And uh, God bless you all and your fans and your family and America. Ah, Happy New Year as well. <laughs> there you go. America, the beauty. <laughs> I don't oh, yeah. say the beautiful, the beauty. Uh, but uh, I know you're a football fan, too. I, I forget. What team do you root for? Uh, the Patriots. That's right. I knew what team you root for. I just wanted I to. I, I wanted. You. I wanted you to throw it out there for all the fans. I know. Yeah. I know. But you know what? We you know, know I hate man. the Patriots. You, you know we're that. Loyal. That's why I asked you. We loyal. We loyal to our. I, crew I know. And, uh, the, the, this next season is going to be an awesome one. You know, we got to fix a few things, but uh, you know, we're going to be really fine. We're yeah. going to be back on track. You believe you know? in the Easter Bunny too? I do. <laughs> <laughs> Don't tell your kids that. <laughs> <laughs> but how, how are you guys doing? I mean, over there uh, in Michigan, the Whitecaps, uh, the last time we, we spoke to you, you were talking about uh, being a new coach and, and the growth of some of the young players that you have over there. How's it been uh, over the last couple of, last year? I mean, it's been awesome. Uh, you know, I'm super thankful, obviously, uh, to the Detroit Tigers organization to give me an opportunity, you know, to continue to help our younger talent. And uh, obviously, you know, being part of uh, such a great organization with a lot of tradition, you know, I'm very humble and honored, you know. Uh, but at the same time, you know, we are pretty good, man. I'm, I'm doing great. My family is doing awesome. You know, it's just like one of those things that I cannot wait, you know, to go back there. I, I really love the fans. I really love the front office people. I love, uh, you know, the way, you know, everybody loves us down there. And uh, obviously, you know, super thankful and grateful, you know, to be back. So uh, do you have your favorite memory since the last time we had you on the show? In the, in, I think it was in July. Since the last time we had you on the show, a favorite coaching memory that you had with your team? 
Oh, man. Uh, you know, it has to be the last game of the season last year. Uh, you know, we were in the playoff race and, uh, you know, we knew that if we lost, uh, you know, if we lose the game, it was going to be over for us. And uh, we, we end up, you know, winning walk-off fashion. And uh, it was an amazing opportunity for us, you know, to continue in the race. But at the same time, you know, those guys, they won the game. Uh, you know, so, you know, it was a tough one. It was a tough one for us uh, because uh, obviously our guys, they fought so hard. They came, you know, with bad intentions. You know, what I mean by that is like they were hungry. You know, they were excited. You know, they want to continue to grow. But at the same time, they play for each other. And that is exactly what you want. You know, that is exactly the direction that our organization is going. You know, we just want to go out there and create, you know, and continue to create, you know, an opportunity for our guys to be successful and uh, help us, you know, at the highest level and, uh, and win the World Series for us. As everybody knows, we are talking to 12-year MLB catcher and current West Michigan Whitecaps manager, Brian Pena. Brian, you look at the game, and the game's transitioned. I mean, with, with the talent that you have, you, you look at guys that are six foot eight in the major leagues, 280 pounds. They can run. They're they five-tool players, a.k.a. Aaron Judge. And now you look at some of the players that are, you know, right now in the minor leagues, uh, you know, the Dodgers farm system. You have a Seattle Mariners farm system. You have all these different farm systems that are growing. Tell us a little bit about— The Tigers. Yeah, the Tigers, too. I, we, I was just about to get to that. Uh, the Tigers— <laughs> being the team uh, that has been growing their farm system over the last couple of years because they haven't been a good professional baseball team. Maybe because they're getting older. They lost guys like Justin Verlander. Miguel Cabrera retires. So what are your thoughts of the growth of Major League Baseball in the minor leagues? Super excited, man. Super excited. Uh, you know, back in my days, you know, you just go out there and, and, uh, and play the game. Now it's totally different. Now our guys, you know, they're asking for information. Now they understand, you know, the analytics. Now they understand what their body needs, you know, for them to be successful. And, uh, you know, it's just one of those things that I feel very happy and very pleased, you know, with the, with the direction that our organization is trending, you know. We're super excited, obviously, you know, for this opportunity, you know, for our younger talent to go out there and continue to represent us, you know, at the highest level. And at the same time, obviously, you know, Scott Harris and, uh, you know, AJ Hinch and, uh, you know, Ryan Garko and, and, and the entire front office, uh, you know, they do a tremendous job. They do a tremendous job, you know, just putting us in a good position to be successful, you know, and, and at the same time, you know, me personally, um, I'm super grateful, super grateful for this opportunity. And as you know, I love the numbers, you know, I, I'm, I'm I don't want to say that I'm an analytic freak, but I believe in numbers so much, you know, but at the same time, you know, it's all about going out there and put our guys in a good position, man. It's all about, you know, making sure that every time that we have a chance, you know, to, to, to give them, uh, you know, an information or to, or to give them something for them to get better, we would do that. You know, that's our goal. And, uh, you know, obviously, you know, we're super excited about this new year. We're super excited about, you know, the way our organization is going. And, uh, you know, hopefully we can continue to move, you know, in the right in the right direction. I'm sorry, which one I believe, you know, deep in my heart that, uh, that, that uh, we are going to be, uh, you know, back soon. You know, I, uh, I'm super excited about, you know, our roster at the highest level, obviously. You know, I, I got to focus, uh, you know, about my roster when it comes time, you know, to, to go time, you know. But at the same time, right now, we just have to focus about, you know, what can we do to help our big league club? You know, uh, what is exactly what those guys they need, you know, to continue, you know, trending in the right direction. And, uh, you know, like I said before, I don't want to sound like a broken record, but, uh, you know, we are we are doing good, man. We 
are doing good. We are very happy. And also, you know, with all the respect, you know, we, we, we believe in our farm system. You know, we believe in our coaches, in our coordinators and, uh, and, 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 and our people in charge because, uh, you know, we, we show up, you know, last year and, uh, and all our four teams, you know, full season teams, we finished over 500, you know, which one is uh, it's, it's a great, great uh, moment for our organization. Uh, you know, I think it, it was the first time that I ever done it, you know. So, uh, uh, obviously, you know, Ryan Garko and, and uh, all the pitching coordinators, hitting coordinators, analytics, you know, coaches, strength conditioning, you know, everybody had a little bit to do with that. And, uh, you know, uh, you know, we're super, super happy, you know, but to be part of that. And uh, it's, it's, there is nothing better to see, you know, the guys that you coach or the guys that uh, they, 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 they play for you and, uh, and, and, and we work together to see them in the big league, man. And, uh, you know, guys like Torkerson, you know, Riley Green, you know, Gary Hill, you know, Brobisky, you know, like guys like that. And you go like, wow, uh, you know, I, I, I can't believe that these guys, they were sitting right next to me, you know, we were breaking bread and now, you know, they're, they're, they're in the big league, you know, celebrating <laughs> and having a good time and, and, uh, and making sure that their family, they're set for the future. So a lot of MLB rule changes have been passed by last week. Um, they're going to be banning the shift or making it not harder for them to move around after the pitch where the infielders have to stay in one spot. Bigger bases are coming in. Pitch love clock it. is coming Absolutely in. Absolutely love pitch it. Pitch clock is coming in. And you being a minor league manager, I know that uh, I know they've a lot experimented with those rules, these newer rules a lot in the minor leagues. Any of those in particular that were in your league? And if so, uh, what was that experience like adapting to it as a coach like? I tell you what, man. At the beginning, we were a little skeptical, especially because I, you know, I had a, I, I had a, a blessed time, you know, out there at the highest level where I used to play. So at the beginning, I was a little skeptical, you know, how people and how our players, you know, that they're gonna react. But then, when you, when you get used to and you understand, it, you know, the purpose behind it, you love it. I love it. You know, our coaches love it. We gave. You know, Major League Baseball, great feedback, you know, because uh, obviously the games, they were faster. You know, the players that were engaged, you know, uh, we had a little bit more uh, action on the bases. And, and that is exactly what the fans want. At the end of the day, it's all about the fans. You know, at the end of the, uh, at the, end of the day, you know, it's exactly what they're asking. They, they want more actions. They want a little bit more of offense. And, uh, you know, and, and right now, you know, Major League Baseball is doing a tremendous job, you know, uh, giving that to our fans. And, uh, and obviously... You know, it's one of those things that uh, our players, they, they, they used to now. So at the end of the day, man, uh, you know, it's, it's a game that we love. But at the same time, you know, we got to evolve and we have to make adjustments and understand that uh, there is a purpose behind everything, you know. And, uh, you know, it's just one of those things that as a manager, me personally, you know, I just want to make sure that our guys understand what they need to do. I just want to make sure that our guys, they, they understand that they have to make adjustments, you know, for them to continue to grow. And, uh, and man, you know, it's just like, uh, it's, it's like everything, you know, you just have to get used to, you just have to understand, you know, what is exactly what you need to do to be successful and make adjustments along the way. As everybody knows, we are talking to 12-year MLB catcher, vet, and current West Michigan Whitecaps manager, Brian Pena. You know, Brian, uh, we, we talk about some of these guys that, you, you know, especially with shifting and how the game, I, I believe, has ruined baseball. Shifting is, and it's been around forever. It's been around in the 70s, the 60s, and everybody speaks about steroids and how it's ruined the game in the 90s, but it saved baseball. I don't care what anybody says. Steroids saved baseball when they baseball needed Mark McGuire and Sammy Sosa and those guys and Rafael Pamero and all those other guys. So I know everybody's going to say you shouldn't be doing it, but it helped the game when the game needed it. 
And, and now you look at shifting. I think shifting has, has affected the game of baseball. And offense, as a Yankee fan, does this help Anthony Rizzo? Absolutely. Left-handed pull ball hitter. It's going to help his offensive numbers. Joey Joey Gallo, everybody was making fun of last year because he couldn't he couldn't hit because he's a pull ball hitter. Does this help him with their no shift in baseball? Absolutely does. It's going to put his numbers up at least 15, 20 points, which will give him a better batting average, maybe give him more power. So it does help. Uh, John Carlos Stanton, who's a pull ball hitter as a right-handed hitter. It's going to help John Carlos Stanton because he can use the field more, being that there's no more shifting and you have to stay in a position that you play. So I understand that. So when you look at this shift, and, and a lot of we, – we have spoken to a lot of coaches, college baseball coaches, major league baseball coaches. A lot of them say they don't like it. They don't like the fact that you can't shift. It's part of the game. Do you like this? Do you like it now that it opens up the game? It gives baseball a little bit more offense the way uh, baseball, you know, the fans want to see it? Well, I, I think, that, like I said before, you know, that there is a purpose behind every move that, uh, you know, that we make in, in the game. You know, obviously, that it's like you say, you know, we're going to have different opinions and, uh, you know, we, we're going to have, uh, you know, different people going in different directions. But me, me personally, you know, I like I like the fact that I, we take that away, you know, because obviously we got to listen to our fans. You know, we are playing baseball thanks to our fans. You know, we are in this position that we are, you know, thanks to our fans. And, and if our fans, you know, we have to respect their opinion and we have to make sure that they understand that, uh, that uh, we're paying attention to what they say. They understand that as an industry, you know, we listen to them. And that's important. So definitely, you know, I like I like the way that, uh, you know, we, we eliminate shift and, uh, you know, we just have to be a little bit more creative and uh, we just have to make sure that, uh, you know, we execute our pitches better and uh, and not to get hurt and, and, and eliminate, the, the, you know, the, the, the damage. You know, I'm not telling you that it's going to be easy, you know, but I'm telling you that it's going to be worth it, in my humble opinion. Well, I, I love you because you agree with me on that. I don't love you because you're a Patriot fan. <laughs> that's a that's a curveball, man. But, that's the uh, beauty about America, man. There you, you know go. I mean? There you go. Like, but, we, we can have different opinions, yeah. but at the same time, you, we know, feel, you know, can have love. It, it's so funny because when Speedy told me we were going to have you on the show, I was like, oh, he's the Patriot fan. And <laughs> and that's why I, I knew the last time you were on the show, you were wearing a Patriot shirt. That's what you were wearing. And I was like... Oh God, he he must be a Patriot fan. So I I wanted you, I wanted to, <laughs> I wanted you to tell everybody that you were a Patriot fan because we have a lot of Patriot fans that listen to the show, and we have one that used to uh, work at our network that was yes. a Giants fan and then decided to convert himself Please. to a Patriots fan with the Giants dropped the Daniel Jones. Makes me want to throw up, but whatever. <laughs> uh, God Almighty! But uh, hey, maybe uh, wishful thinking if. Uh, you know, if the Patriots win next year, good for them. I, I don't think it's going to happen, but good move big, bringing Bill O'Brien back. But uh, you have a pretty good farm system, and a lot of people talk about the, the number three overall pick in 2021, 20, uh, Jackson Job, who everybody keeps saying that this guy is an up-and-coming pitcher in the minor leagues. I, he played in single-A this year. Uh, people think that he will start to move up to double-A. Uh, there's, there's a guy that the Mets... You know, love this name. He's not the same guy, Wilmer Flores, uh, right-handed pitcher, uh, who is in double-A right now. A lot of people like this kid. This guy's got a tremendous fastball, has the ability to uh, – he could throw a curveball. He, he's got three pitches that are dominant. And then their number one prospect, Jace Jung, who is a second baseman who everybody loves. Everybody loves this kid. Yeah. What, do, what do you think about these prospects, guys that you know right now in the minor leagues for the Detroit Tigers? Super excited, man. We have to give a lot of credit to our scouting department. 
you know, they did a tremendous job, you know, bringing those guys home. Uh, it's one of the things that I really appreciate, the fact that I, I have a chance and I have the blessing, you know, to be part of, uh, you know, of, of something special that, uh, you know, we're building here. And, uh, you know, those three guys that you mentioned, man, they are special. They're electric. You know, they do have uh, a lot, you know, to, 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 to be fun and, and you know, and, and to be in love with them, you know. But at the same time, man, you know, something that really captivate, you know, my attention is that uh, they're super humble. They understand, you know, exactly what, uh, you know, they need to do you know, to be successful. And at the same time, you know, it just feels like, you know, those guys, they, they get it, man. They, they, they feel like, hey, you know what? We understand the process. You know, we understand that it takes time. But at the same time, we're just going to continue to work work hard and, and uh, you know, and, put it, and putting ourselves in a good position, you know, to, to get to Detroit as soon as possible. Uh, you know, obviously, uh, you know, it's too soon for us to, to, to talk about, you know, West Michigan roster, mm. you know. But, uh, you know, we feel like, uh, you know, whatever those guys are going to end up, they're going to be in great hands you know because our organization you know they're going to make sure that uh, those guys are going to put in a good position you know for them to go out there and, and compete and uh you know and continue to grow uh because uh, you know the sky's the limit for the you know for those guys and and, and some of the prospects and, and all the players you know that we have you know that's a good thing about you know having a uh you know a deep farm you know because uh you know everybody can go out there and have a chance you know to make an impact you know, everybody, you know, have an opportunity to go out there and, uh, you know, and, and and continue to grow and continue to open some eyes, you know. I like I like the fact that, uh, you know, AJ, you know, AJ Hinch, our uh, big league manager, you know, he's, uh, you know, he's, he's, he's believed, he's, he believed, you know, in, in, in giving, you know, guys a chance, you know, he believed in the young players and uh, our guys, you know, they're in a good position. It's great. It's a great day to be a Tiger, man. Uh, you know, obviously, uh, you know, it takes some time for some of the guys, but at the same time, you know, uh, you know, when those guys are there ready, they're going to make a huge impact and they're going to help us out there at the highest level. So last time we were, you were on the show, I asked you about Albert Pujols and Miguel Cabrera. What were they like? And we got another one of your ex-teammates on the Cardinals retiring this year. Adam Wainwright going one more year. So what was it like being a catcher for him? He's one of those guys. I know him a long time ago because we were uh, the baby brave. We were part of the baby brave, mm -hmm. you know, uh, back in our days. I don't want to say how far back, but, you know, back in our days. And, uh, and, for him to, yeah, and for him to continue, you know, to do, you know, what he does, for him to continue to go out there and compete and, and perform and, and be successful at the highest level, you know, it says a lot about him. It says a lot about his leadership. It says a lot about his character. It says a lot about, says a lot about his commitment, you know, to be successful and, and, and searching, continue to search for greatness. You know, in my, in my humble opinion, you know, he's already great, you know, but I know he doesn't settle. Obviously, you know, him and I, you know, we play a little bit when we work with the Braves. We play together, you know, when I was with the Cardinals and, uh, you know, obviously, you know, his, uh, his, his leadership, you know, his, uh, his respect for the game, his respect for his coaches, for the fans, you know, for his teammates, you know, and, and, and him, you know, to be able to continue to do, you know, what he does, you know, is, is, is amazing. And, and, and uh, you know, as you guys know, you know, he's going to be part of that WBC, you know, representing, you know, the, the, the United States of America uh, team. And, uh, you know, it's like, you know, he's a pride guy, man. He, you know, he's very proud. You know, he got a lot of pride you know, and what he does. And, uh, you know, we just wish him nothing but the best and, uh, and many blessings, you know, to Flacco. That's what I call him. We are talking to 12-year MLB catcher and current West Michigan Whitecaps manager, Brian Pena. Uh, Brian, we look at the league now. Uh, we see Houston wins another World Series. They didn't cheat this time, but they won. It was uh, fair and square this year. Uh, Justin Verlander goes to the New York Mets. 
This year, are, is there teams that really stand out to you uh, in the National League more than the American League? Or do you think the American League this year, again, will have the World Series champion? You can't ignore what the Mets did, you know. Uh, it's, a, it's a special, you know, to see a roster like the one that they have, you know. Uh, obviously, uh, you know, when you have a chance to have that many superstars, you got to keep an eye on that team. You know, you had to pay attention. You had to learn from those guys. You had to uh, see, you know, exactly what they do, especially, you know, having a skipper, you know, like the one that they have that, uh, you know, he's, he's not just uh, fun and, and uh, you know, he's, he's, he's got a lot of experience, but, you know, he knows exactly what, you know, what to do with, with uh, superstars because, uh, you know, it's not an easy thing to handle ego. It's not an easy thing. I'm not saying that those guys, they have that, but, you know, it's just like one of those things that uh, you, you never know you know, what happened, you know, in, in, in those uh, clubhouse. But, uh, you know, it looks like, you know, he's doing a tremendous job. It looks like he's been doing a tremendous job, you know, guiding, teaching and uh, leading those guys, you know. And uh, and, and obviously, I, I really, uh, you know, as a fan, as a, as a fan of the game, you know, I really appreciate, you know, their, their honor, you know, they he went out there and, uh, you know, he... He, he went out there and, and uh, you know, he, he, he signed, you know, those guys. Hold on, know, uh, hold the, on, the, the, hold, the hold, hold on, hold on, hold on. You actually like owners that like to spend money? I would call in the Yankees the evil empire for years. Ah, he bought this guy, he bought that guy. But remember, you know this, uh, Mr. Pena, the Yankees built around a core of players. When they were superstar, when when they were the elite team in the 90s, they built around Derek Jeter. They built around Andy Pettit and Mariano Rivera and, um, you know, all, uh, Jorge Posada and, 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 and Bernie Williams. All these different guys that they had over there. And then they added a player, Wade Boggs and and. Charlie, you know, all these different guys, uh, Brocious and, and Tino Martinez and Paul O'Neill. They added all these players when they had their core. You like that, uh, you know, an owner like Steve Cohen, Uncle Stevie, whatever they call him over here, is opening up his pockets and willing to spend over a billion and a half million dollars in two years with the Mets? Well, I'm going to tell you something. This is the beauty about America. You know, when you work hard and you have an opportunity to spend the money the way you want it, why not? You know, why not going out there? And obviously every business, every owner, everybody, you know, have some plans, you know, for the future and for the organization future, you know. But how can you go against, you know, a guy like that, in my humble opinion, you know, when he worked very hard on what he has, you know, right now. And, uh, you know, and obviously, you know, he's, uh, you know, he's, he wants to spend his money that way, you know. And, uh, you know, and, and it's one of the things that I do have to respect, you know, uh, people's, you know, uh, opinion and stuff like that. But but at the same time, you know, you also have to respect what people do with their earn, with uh, with their money. I mean, they earn that money. They work very hard for that money. And you have to respect the way everybody goes about their business, you know. That's the beauty about America, you know. But How about this? Cuba, How about if this? you ask me that question in Cuba, I'll give I will tell you a totally different answer. I'll give you but 20. You know what I mean? I'll give you 20 million, okay? I'll take his money. I'll give you 20 million. I'll give myself 20 million. I'll give Speedy 20 million. And we're rich. We don't have to worry about the billion and a half. I mean, $20 million is like pocket money to Uncle Stevie, okay? That is pocket money. Could you imagine this guy? This guy probably walks into a bar with a, like a, a suitcase of money and says, okay, I've got all your meals. I've got all your drinks for the night. And it wouldn't even bother his pocket. It wouldn't even hurt his pocket. It's crazy. Uh, you know, it's, it's like I told you. I don't, want to sound, I don't want to sound like a broken record, but... You know, something that this is, uh, you know, I want, I want to be uh, serious about this. Mm-hmm. You know, something that I learned 
you know, coming from Cuba and, and uh, uh, you know, coming from, from a country that, uh, you know, have a chance, you know, to, to be able to, to, to be free. You know, and what I mean by that, you know, uh, being able to, to make money, be, being able to express yourself, being able to not watch your, your back, you know, and, and being able to, 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 to work hard, you know, and have an opportunity, you know, to, to be somebody. You know, when, when, when you come to this country, to this great country, a country that I love and I respect so much, and I'm very proud to call myself an American citizen, you know, when you come to this country and then you see that and you see, uh, you know, people getting, getting a chance, you know, to go out there and, and, uh, and, and own business and, and put themselves in a good position and their family in a good position to continue to grow and, uh, and help others, you know, I think, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's a beautiful thing, man. It's a beautiful thing, you know. And obviously, you know, it's not, it's not just because I, I work for the Tigers, but, you know, Mr. Illich, uh, you know, this is something that I really appreciate uh, him to be our honor because uh, obviously I, I, I don't know if I should talk about this, but uh, if, if I get reprimanded tomorrow, you know, I'm I going to have to wear it. But when we were in the pandemic, uh, you know, Mr. Illich, you know, he went out there and he donated a lot of money. You know, he went out there and he didn't uh, he didn't let nobody go. You know what I'm saying? So he kept everybody, you know, uh, getting paid and, and uh, he helped, you know, his entire people. So it's kind of like, how can you not be grateful to a man like that? How can you not be loyal to a man like that? You know, and at the end of the day, I understand that it's a business. At the end of the day, you know, I understand that, uh, you know, people, are, you know, trying to, to grow and go in different directions at time, you know, but, you know, that is something that you're always going to keep in your heart because Mr. Elish, when we need it, you know, when we need him and his family, you know, they came through for us and little things like that makes a difference, you know? So it's kind of, like I say, you know, I, I love when people make money. I love when people go out there and, and, uh, and, 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 and earn, you know, their money the right way and give back, you know, because that says a lot about this great country. It says a lot about, you know, people's heart and, uh, and willing to, to do the right thing. Well, we really appreciate your time as always, man. Thank Keep you. up the good work with the Tigers and, uh, and maybe if you need, you know, you need coaches, you need extra coaches. <laughs> I mean, we got an analytic guy over hey, there. I, I tell you what, man, I tell you what, I really appreciate you guys. <laughs> I, I really appreciate you guys. Obviously, you know, thanks for giving me an opportunity absolutely, to be absolutely. here with you guys. Uh, you know, many blessings coming your way. Thank coming, you, man. Coming to your fan, your family. And, uh, you know, hopefully we'll see you guys out there in West Michigan. You got to stop by. Oh, it's a beautiful okay. place, you yeah. know, beautiful atmosphere. Beautiful environment, you know the fans. They're 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 amazing, especially on Thursdays. You know, one dollar beer. Oh, that, he, that likes beer. Like, he likes the beer. He likes the drink. He, he like, likes. You know, like, hey, I tell you, in the first inning, you know, those guys <laughs> they love me. Peña, we love you, and stuff like that. In the third inning, it's totally different. You know, because you know I'll come. Guys, I'll come for the beer for one dollar during hey. the season. Arrow will come right now because it's West Michigan and it's cold. That's it's right. Very it's cold. It's very cold. I, I like that the cold. Is, it's like a beautiful place, uh, beautiful people, you know, the West Michigan Whitecaps, you know, front office people, Ginger Reggie and his guys, you know, they're doing a tremendous job to make sure that all of us, especially our players, they feel like like big leaguers. And, uh, you know, it's, uh, it's an amazing place to be. And uh, hopefully you guys can go down there, man, and visit Tell us. You, what, you make us, uh, you know... Uh... You know, guests, we'll come down there. We'll come and oh, check yeah. out. We'll oh, do. Yeah. We'll I come. will take care of you guys. Oh, there you go. We'll come down there. We'll talk to your players. That's home. That's home for me. There you go. <laughs> well, you're the big line. You're the big league over there. So 
We get treated like big league guys. So why not? You guys will. Trust me, you guys will. <laughs> we love you, Brian. Thank right, you for thank joining you. us, man. I love you guys too, man. I appreciate you guys. Brian Pena, ladies and gentlemen, uh, former major league player, 12 years in the major leagues. Wow, 12 years. Mm-hmm. I mean, playing 12 years in the big leagues is ridiculous. I, I mean, it's not easy playing the catching position because it's the most, I believe, the most important position on the field because uh, they're they're the captains. They're the guys that are, are calling the plays, you know, the the, uh, the coaches, the managers on the bench when they're they're telling they want to tell the defense to do what they need to do on the field. They tell they report it to the catcher. The catcher reports it to, to all the guys on the field. So uh, it's not easy playing that position for twelve years in the major league leagues and playing for so many different organizations. I mean, it's ridiculous. And now uh, being a manager right now for the Detroit Tigers and maybe a future major league uh, manager in the future. I mean, uh, it, anything's possible. And catchers, if there's anybody that gets these managing jobs in the major leagues, it's ex-catchers. How many ex-catchers are right now managers in baseball? There's a ton of them. So uh, I, I love this guy, and he's a good guy, and, and, and he's straightforward. Everything that he says and his personality he brightens up uh, You know everything that he says. So con- and congratulations on a great season. Thank you. For the Michigan Whitecaps, by the way. So I appreciate you guys. Thank you. Absolutely. Brian Pena. There we go. Mm-hmm. First guest of the day. Uh, at 9 o'clock, we'll be talking to Eagles and Phillies. Spanish language broadcaster, Oscar Budahen. So he, he's going to – it's an interesting name, by the way. Uh, mm-hmm. But uh, I, I'm not Spanish. But to, to call a game in Spanish is it's crazy. And to know fluent English like Oscar does, it's it's pretty impressive. And I, I can't wait to hear what he thought about uh, the uh, the debacle of a Super Bowl game for the Eagles in the second half. That's uh, just crazy, crazy, crazy. So, Speedy, um, Jonathan Gannon becomes the defensive coordinator for the Cardinals. I, I mean... I mean, I'm sorry, defensive. I'm sorry, Jonathan Gannon, the defensive coordinator for the Philadelphia Eagles, becomes the head coach of the Cardinals. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, it, to me, the Eagles went from uh, a Super Bowl year, going all the way to the Super Bowl, and and when their starting quarterback was playing, they were 16 and two. Okay, losing the Super Bowl, they were 16 and two when Jalen Hurts was, uh, you know, the quarterback of this team before the injury, the shoulder injury that he had. And then losing your offensive coordinator and your defensive coordinator, it's crazy. It's crazy. It's a crazy offseason for the Eagles because the Eagles are hungry. They have a very big offseason because they have a ton of draft picks. They have two first-round draft picks. Uh, Jalen Hurts is the real deal. Next year, he after next year, he is going to be up for a contract. So yep. if I were them, I would start negotiating the deal this offseason. And figure out what makes sense right now. Because you do not want Jalen Hurts to go to free agency. Yes, you could franchise him. But then he could be a Lamar Jackson. He could say, you know what? You don't want to give me a contract after what I did this year and and how good I was this year? Okay. I'm I'm, going to sit back and I'm going to let my agent decide where I'm going. You know, so... I, I don't and, and Lamar Jackson's his own agent right now. So I, I I mean and Lamar Jackson, 
he's probably going to be franchised in the next couple of weeks. I think next week he, the franchise tag is put on the play. I think it's next week. The week I think after. it's Mar- I think it's like right at the beginning of March, right around when the NHL trade deadline is. It's, it starts right before. I heard it was like a week or two. It's te- it's uh, it's usually ten to fifteen days before the actual free agency period starts. Maybe they push it up this off season. But yeah, <sighs> there it, lo- it looks inevitable that the Ra- the Ravens are still kind of off on a long term contract. Fra- if they franchise him, he is going to want to be gone. Yep. If they if they actually tag him, he's gone. He's not going back to the Baltimore Ravens. That's right. a guarantee. If they decide to franchise him, that will piss him off. Yeah, and they're apparently already like a hundred million dollars separated from what they want in their current long term contract. Well, because he wants he wants guaranteed money, which he yeah. wants Kyler Murray money. He's and he has a, he has a legitimate argument here. Okay, Kyler Murray never won an MVP. Okay, he never won an MVP. As a matter of fact, Lamar Jackson in the four years that he has been the quarterback and the dominant quarterback that he's been. Lamar Jackson's been one of the top 10 quarterbacks in the league. Kyler Murray was a top 10 quarterback one year. One year. And he gets the contract in the offseason because Arizona knows they haven't had a quarterback. And I'm not going to say Carson Palmer since. You know, yeah, not theirs. Kurt Warner was the last good quarterback that they had. And that guy was a veteran quarterback right. that came from the Rams. Yeah, they haven't had a homegrown quarterback in who knows how long. They never did. Yeah, they, they, it's one of their big weaknesses when it comes to the development. And same kind of thing with the Ravens. Joe Flacco was really their only good homegrown, but was he ever a top five, top ten quarterback? Maybe certain years, but only maybe two seasons in his career. The Ravens' strength has always been running games and defense. So they got to make sure they can find a way to make it work. Otherwise, you're right. You're gonna, they're going to piss him off badly, and then you're going to have to trade him again. And they really want to reset and go to a different quarterback? Uh, I don't know. The Eagles' offensive coordinator, he deserves it. Shane Steichen, he had a very good season. He had a great Super Bowl. His, his offense played well. It's not... It's not like the offense didn't do well. It's not like yeah. Jalen Hurts didn't show up to the game. The offense did as well as it could have played in a Super Bowl. They scored 35 points against a, a, a top 12 defense. Okay? Uh, that, that says a lot. It, it, the fact that Gannon had a top, really a top five defense all season long, and that defense didn't show up in the second half. To me, how he got... Really, how he got that job is 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 crazy. Now, yeah. Arizona was really searching because after striking out on bringing Sean Payton in, and everybody thought that's where he was heading, uh, he goes to the Broncos. The Broncos traded a slew of picks for him, which I thought they were out of their minds, but that's just, to me, for a coach that hasn't coached in a year. Now, it is is a guy that has been proven, has won a Super Bowl, but still giving up a first-round draft pick for a coach is a little out, ridiculous. It, they're so, kind of in too deep at this point, kind of like the Rams were when they traded for yeah, Stafford. Because of the, so. Yes, because they, they brought in Russell Wilson and traded away yeah. their future. So And they gave up other pieces that helped Seattle get into the playoffs this year. So, uh, But you look at the, the picture right now, going into this offseason, it's all about the quarterback. This is the year of the veteran quarterback. When you got guys like Aaron Rodgers that could be available, Lamar Jackson, who's in the prime of his career, he's 25, going to be 26. He's in the prime of his career. He he, he won an MVP, what was it, three, two years ago? Mm-hmm. I mean, and and he almost at one point... 
going into the beginning of the year, the first five or six games, a lot of people thought he was going to be up for an MVP again. So uh, that had a lot to do with the offense and and not enough. The lack of offensive weapons that Lamar Jackson's had has had over the last couple of years. And so, the line injuries too, which caused him to get hit more. Later yeah, well, the they also traded away their offensive line too. I mean, yeah. <laughs> they traded away Brown. He goes to Kansas City. They they've given up you know pieces that helped Lamar Jackson when he was a rookie when he came into the league. So. Uh, it, it's definitely affected his game and, and what his game was going to be this year. But still, was still a good quarterback. Right. If you look at their record, go look at the Baltimore Ravens record when Lamar Jackson is in the lineup. Go look at their record. I mean, what is he lost as a as a starting quarter- three this season? No, I'm just saying as a starting quarterback in his career. Oh yeah, how many That's games insane. has he lost? See, 15, it was, it 17 was, it was games? Only, it was only one the first season. It was only two the second season. So that's three right there. I think it was only three when he was when he was healthy. I think he's lost like 17 games. Yeah, something like that. It's it's crazy. I, it's Regular crazy. And, and, and when he's not in the lineup, go look at their record. This was the first year where they actually won multiple games with him out of the lineup. <laughs> And it, it had nothing to do with the offense. It had, everything to do with it had everything to do with the defense. Right. And then they, they overpay. And I'm not saying... I'm not saying that when you bring in a, in a guy you know, who's one of the elite linebackers in the league, he's not worth the money that they're paying him. Why would you overpay a player? And I, I and I'm not again. I'm not taking shots at who who they paid. I'm taking shots at you're going to pay somebody that came from another roster, overpay for him, but you won't pay your quarterback. Yeah, it doesn't make sense. And if I was Lamar Jackson, it's a smack in my face. They already have too much money invested in their defense as it is because they already gave free agent contracts to Marcus Peters. They gave free agent contracts to Marcus Williams. And they now all of a sudden give Roquan Smith the highest paid contract for an off-ball linebacker. In How could you do that? If, if I was Lamar Jackson, I'd be pissed too. Yeah, you got And then it. you trade away your best wide receiver in the offseason and say, hey, play with this. I mean, he had third and fourth string wide receivers catching the ball this year. Bateman can't stay healthy. Right. I mean, he was their first-round draft pick. The guy can't stay healthy. This is, what, two years in a row. The guy can't stay healthy. Mm -hmm. And again, you have to look at distribution of wealth the way it is in today's game, too. Because the Ravens, when you look at the way their defense has been built, they have enough homegrown guys that are not on big contracts that are still making impacts around their other stars. So there's no really need. I'm not saying don't trade for Roquan Smith, but you should be able to find a way to make it for less than $20 million a year when you know you got to pay your quarterback. Because now all of a sudden what you're looking at is – a offense that a lot of guys are barely making any money because the running backs are always hurt. J.K. Dobbins wants to get paid, too, and he's not happy with them. He's gone. Yeah, I think so, too. The receivers, they, they got nothing. And their offensive line, they paid Ronnie Stanley, who's been hurt a lot, and they had to let everybody else go. They had to trade for Kevin Zietler from the Giants, who's played well, but still, again, he's an older guy towards the end of his career. And it really hasn't helped Lamar Jackson be able to do that kind of thing to that next level. They have to find some level of balance. I'm not sure if it's ownership. I'm not sure if it's, they have to be that counterculture defense and running philosophy. But still, you have to adjust a little bit to the modern era, as good as the Ravens are developing the players. And I... I mean, if you look at his numbers, he was 8-4 and four when he did play 12 games, 62.3 completion percentage, which is good for a quarterback that everybody said wasn't accurate, uh, 2,242 yards, 6.9 yards per throw, and 17 touchdowns and 7 interceptions. That's a good year. That's that For a Jets quarterback, I mean, that's a great year. Mm-hmm. That's a great year for a Jets quarterback. And I'm not saying I want Lamar Jackson because I don't want to give up two first-round draft picks and possibly two seconds to get a Lamar Jackson. But 
if if the Jets had Lamar Jackson, are they a Super Bowl contender? Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely a Super Bowl contender. Joe Douglas would definitely do it if the price does fall. So, yes. So if it 100%. continues to get even more dicey. And he will pay him, too. Oh, yeah. He'll pay him easily, and he'll give him the guaranteed money he, he wants. Uh, Carl says, going back to the Eagles, zero sacks, miserable. Losing coordinator. Sounds like Bama every year. Yeah. Ravens and Packers should swap quarterbacks. That'd be interesting, but probably wouldn't happen. Uh, shout out to Leif Paluska. He says, I want Ryan Tannehill money. Yes, I think everybody wants Ryan Tannehill money to play like an average quarterback at best. Uh, Ravens are so good, their quarterback who threw Ryan two Tannehill better not be the Jets pick up a, at quarterback this yeah, offseason. That would be an extremely bad for the New York Jets, not only for the fans because you're gonna have to pay. You're have to you'll, you're going to have to pay Ryan Tannehill. You're, you're talking about thirty five to thirty eight million a year. I uh, and you and again you have to pay your your star defensive lineman in, in uh, um, Quinn Williams. Williams a lot of money. Quinn Williams is going to be asking for twenty one to twenty two million dollars guaranteed every single year, and he's twenty four years old. He's going to want a lot of money. He's a top defensive lineman. He was an, a, a first-team All-Pro player this year. So he's as good as anybody in the league at his position. He's compared his skills this year were compared to Aaron Donald-like. I know I don't think he's Aaron Donald, but he could be very be. soon yeah. uh, compared to a guy like Aaron Donald, a guy that dominates at the line of scrimmage. So they have to pay him. And with Aaron Rodgers, it makes a lot of sense because Aaron Rodgers is already under contract. They could spread out that $58 million of cap money or dead cap money right. and spread it out to, you know, 15 year this year, 32 next year, and then $20 million each year after that, third and fourth. Give Aaron Rodgers that that cap, uh, you know, that cap discount and then move on with Aaron Rodgers. It makes sense. But what are they going to have to give up for Aaron Rodgers? Carl says Ravens are so good that their quarterback, who threw two touchdowns, made the Pro Bowl. Yes, we we were joking about that with Jeff a couple of weeks ago, and Jeff was saying, "No, he's better than Dak Prescott." Uh, Carl also says, "How are the Ravens will be able to afford Roquan Smith?" Well, they have money. It's just the problem is it's distributed all in the wrong area. Here's here's why they have the money. They they took Lamar Jackson's money and gave it to Roquan Smith. That's what they gave it to him. Right. They gave him Roquan. Roquan Smith is rich as Lamar Jackson sitting there saying. Well, how are you going to scavenge out that kind of money to me? You know, so he, he, if I was Lamar Jackson, just seeing Roquan Smith get that money, I'd be right now sitting right now with the, 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 the team, you know, executives and saying, trade me. I don't want to be here. I don't want to be on this team. You traded uh, Brown. Over there to Arizona in the offseason made no sense. He was my number one option. Uh, you, you did everything to hurt me this year and going into the season. I still won eight games this year. I still got you into the playoffs, even with my injuries. And then gave it. And if, if you actually gave me the contract that I wanted, I'd probably play against the Bengals and maybe take you all the way to the Super Bowl. Uh, yes, Carl. Roquan did get a new deal. He's the highest paid inside linebacker, off-ball linebacker in the league. He's getting $20 million a year. Ravens did pay him. It would piss me off if I'm a quarterback and I see other players that weren't on the team at the trade deadline, before the trade deadline, are on the team at the trade deadline and get the contract after they get traded. Right. It makes no sense. It's like Chubb. Chubb gets traded to Miami and then gets a new contract. Yeah. Here you go. You're one of the richest uh, defensive linemen in the league now. Here's 110 million for him. I mean, it's ridiculous. And Carl, to further your point a little more, the Ravens have also been a good de- defensive development organization where they could should be able to trust that end of their process too to be able to replace these guys. 
you could have a couple stars on your defense. I'm not saying to get rid of Marlon Humphrey. I'm not saying to get rid of guys like Brandon Williams that is a very good nose tackle. Obviously, Roquan Smith is one of the better young middle linebackers in the league. I'm not saying get rid of those guys, but you could build with other good homegrown talent around them on rookie contracts and still be able to pay your quarterback because you need to be able in today's league to be able to pay your quarterback or trust that your quarterback will do well on a rookie contract and build everywhere else first. And the Raider, the Ravens have built too much overload on their defense. Now, in, in the case of the Eagles with Jalen Hurts, the Eagles have drafted so well defensively with their young guys that they can afford to let some of their older guys walk. And that allow Jalen Hurts to get the money that he deserves the year he had this year and is probably going to be seeking. And the Eagles, like you were saying, should invest in trying to pay him this year because if he has another season like this, he's going to want record-setting money, potentially. I mean, if you look at Ryan Tannehill's numbers, and I'm, I'm staring at him right now, they don't they're not bad numbers playing in 12 games this year. They really aren't. I mean, he has a 65.2% completion percentage, 2,536 yards, 13 touchdowns to six interceptions. That's not bad. It really isn't. And he has had two seasons with over 4,000 yards. And the last two seasons, besides this year, uh, in 2021 and 2020, he threw for 3,734 yards and 3,819 yards. And his touchdowns to interceptions are pretty high. In 2020, he had 33 touchdowns to seven interceptions. In 2021, 21 to 14. His numbers are good. The thing is, is Ryan Tannehill the answer for the Jets? Come on. If you're going to sit out your number two pick, okay? You're going to sit out your number two pick in Zach Wilson, who obviously needs time to understand the offense. Now you have Nathaniel Hackett. It's a West Coast offense. It's it's a diff- It's a completely different West Coast offense that he was playing under Mike LaFleur. But he had problems with Mike LaFleur's offense. Right. What do you think he's going to have with Nathaniel Hackett's offense? Mm-hmm. It's going to be a little bit difficult. And Nathaniel Hackett obviously comes from Tennessee. So he knows he knows Ryan Tannehill a little bit. So uh, and he also he worked for Tennessee. He also I, I don't know if he actually worked with Ryan Tannehill, but he he comes from Tennessee and he also co- he was the offensive coordinator for the Jacksonville Jaguars. Right. So he understands how to you know how to call plays at the line of scrimmage and stuff like that. He can and maybe Tannehill will understand that offense a little bit better than some of the other quarterbacks that could be available, like Derek Carr or Lamar Jackson. I. It's not a splash for the Jets. No. And this is the worst part that I don't like about it. Remember what Ryan Tannehill said in the offseason last year about uh, trying to mentor Malik Willis? Mm-hmm. And he didn't want to help him at all. He didn't want to help him grow that as a rookie That would scare me, too. Yep. You really want that with Zach Wilson, who's already stubborn and immature as it is? Mm-hmm. I don't know if you want that guy mentoring mentoring Zach Wilson, if they want to have any shot of him to be able to develop, or at least develop somewhat where they could trade him for a value that they can get back. Is that the guy you really want to help developing your quarterback? A guy that didn't want to help Malik Willis, who, again, didn't really develop. I'm not saying Ryan Tannehill was to blame for that, but still. It's just going to cause more problems in the locker room because you've heard what Zach Wilson came out. He he says, whoever they bring to the Jets, I'm going to cause them hell at practices. He he already said that. I don't know why Zach Wilson would come out and say something stupid like that. But if Aaron Rodgers comes to the team, a guy that he respects, a guy that he calls up, uh, you know, in the offseason and asks questions to, and a guy that uh, the Jets actually last offseason was practicing with and 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 uh, obviously had OTAs with. So 
I, I think the fact that he knows Aaron Rodgers and he respects Aaron Rodgers, I think Aaron Rodgers would be a great mentor for a guy like Zach Wilson. Maybe he'll help the kid develop his skills in the next two years, and then the Jets might have something special uh, after Aaron Rodgers retires, if they could bring in Aaron Rodgers, if Aaron Rodgers wants to play for the Jets. But I don't think he's going to the Raiders because I don't think him and Josh McDaniels fits. I, I, I don't see it. He He's not a scheme fit. And if Derek Carr wasn't a scheme fit, and he, he obviously missed the last two games of the season, and he says he wants to call audibles at the line of scrimmage on third downs, and he wants to change the play, and Josh McDaniels did not allow him to do that, what do you think Aaron Rodgers is going to tell Josh McDaniels when he's calling up two plays and he says he's got to pick one or the other? Yep. Well, you think Aaron Rodgers is going to like that? Tell Josh McDaniels on the sideline tells him, I asked you to do this and you did this. What were you doing? Yeah, it's the same reason. He'd, he'd be sitting Aaron Rodgers, one of the greatest quarterbacks to play in this era. Yeah, it's the same reason they had a sour ending with Mike McCarthy, too. And Mike McCarthy is a much better coach than Josh McDaniels. That's not saying much, by the way. I'm not saying that is. I, the, half the league's a better coach than Josh McDaniels is. Even some of the rookie coaches that really didn't prove themselves this year are better than Josh McDaniels. So, But I, again, I still think it could be something the Raiders do because, one, the Devontae Adams there, too. The Super Bowl's in Vegas this year. They might try to go all in for try to make it happen where Aaron Rodgers, oh, flashy name, and they want it's Vegas. They're going to want to do it. Will it actually work? Yeah, I'm not sure on that based on the way Josh McDaniels is so stubborn. Aaron Rodgers is so stubborn. And Josh McDaniels is an in-game coach. It's not that good. Uh, yes, Carl, I did see Juju Smith-Schuster's Valentine's Day tweet mocking James Bradbury. That was pretty funny. Yeah, it's really not funny, okay? It's not. That Super Bowl at the end of the game... I understand it. they still would have kicked the field goal. There's no question they probably would have gotten that field goal, but it would have still gave Philadelphia enough time to take the ball down the field and maybe come back or even win the game. The way Jalen Hurts was playing, why not? Carl, I also, even though I was rooting for the Chiefs, I did like A.J. Brown's response to Juju, though. Because Even though, again, I was rooting for the Chiefs. I'm not the biggest Juju fan either. He's very cocky for a guy that's very average. He's a TikTok kind, guy. Kind, right. And kind, of, kind of like I was saying a couple of weeks ago about Eli Apple. Like, for an average guy. Yeah. like he, He's an Antonio he, Brown, but he's not as bad. Antonio Brown is, like, mentally... You well, know. okay, right, but even He's so, mental. like Juju, Juju has like never been more than like a good, decent wide receiver. Nothing special though in his career, and he was very cocky. And then AJ Brown says, uh, "Patrick Mahomes saved you in your career. You bailed out, bailed out your uh, TikTok boy or something like that." It was. Oh, funny. he is so heavily on TikTok. So is Antonio Brown. Does anybody has anybody checked out Antonio Brown's TikTok? I mean, the guy's out of control. Yes. I, I understand that he might have CTE or he has, you know, head problems, a head yeah, trauma, possible. Uh, quite possible. And and maybe that that's the reason why he locked himself in his own house and the police were trying to pull him out of the house a couple of months ago. A house with, like, guns, too. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, maybe his craziness has caused him to not, you know, be an NFL Hall of Famer, possibly. Mm-hmm. And I don't think he's going to be an Maybe. NFL Hall of Famer because of what he's done in the last couple of years. Walking off a MetLife Stadium with his no shirt on in, in the middle of a game. I mean, embarrassing. Embarrassing the NFL and, and what their product is delivering to the fans and the younger fans. So, I, and then going on HBO on Real Sports and saying what he said. I said, it, it, it's to me, it's... It's unprofessional. You have your – look at John Gruden. Look, John Gruden might never coach again in football. And it's all because of what he wrote, uh, you know, in emails and it was taken out of context at the time when it had nothing to do – honestly, had nothing to do with the scandal for the Washington football team. Right. 
Had nothing to do with it. He shouldn't have said it. John Gruden shouldn't have said it. But the fact that that came out, when it, the, the other things that should have came out from Washington and, and the football team over there, that ruined his career. And that's why he is suing the NFL. Have you seen John Gruden go on uh, HBO Real Sports and complain about it? Did you see him attack the Raiders for what the Raiders, after the Raiders fired him? After the Raiders were moving in, a, in the right direction? He didn't do that. He didn't throw anybody under the bus. He said, "You know what? We're going to go through. The, we're going to go through the the law, and we're going to go through the the um, judicial ju- judicial system, and that's the way we're going to go. We're not going to go. We're not. I'm not going to attack you all over social media. I'm not going to attack you in ways where it's going to make me look stupid." Uh, yes, Carl. Uh, AJ Brown did lace him back. Yeah, it w- it was funny. I, I have always liked AJ Brown for that reason. But yeah, going back to the Eagles though, with with Jalen Hurts though, they're gonna definitely have to pay him over forty million dollars a year, no matter what. But if they can do it now, they might have ended up getting it at a discount with the way the quarterback markets are going. And because the Eagles have so much young talent now and two uh, two draft picks, first round picks this year, a tenth pick and thirty first and the thirtieth pick, they have a lot of even more leeway to improve the little bits of weaknesses that they have. They don't have many weaknesses. That really only is one linebacker spot and a strong safety and maybe some depth with their corners. But that's they don't have many weaknesses at all. Patrick Kane says he is willing to move his no-movement clause to be traded to the Rangers or the Leafs. Kane said last week of the Rangers trading for Tarasenko, it's not like the happiest uh, I've been to hear that that trade happened. Kane said when asked about the Tarasenko deal, I think the Rangers are a team that you definitely pay attention to and definitely are intrigued by for obvious reasons. Kane is making $10.5 million a year, especially this season, is set to be a free agent at the end of the season. Rangers are barely over the salary cap limit at less than um, a million uh, after trading for Tarasenko, while the Leafs are $6 million over the cap, including players that are out uh, for long-term IR. Scott Powers and The Athletic reported the Carolina Hurricanes, Dallas Stars, Minnesota Wild, and Vegas Golden Knights have confirmed interest in the in Patrick Kane. Powers and Lazarus uh, also indicated that the Blackhawks front office believes that there's a 50-50 chance the winger waves his no-movement clause. Kane this season... Uh, has just nine goals and 26 assists, a minus 27 rating with 159 shots on goal scoring on just 5.7% of his shots this season. There's a chance that the Blackhawks could eat half of the salary for Kane. The total would be 5.25 million for both the Blackhawks and wherever he is traded. Kane said in comments to Sportsnet NHL insider Elliot Friedman, I think when you're a guy who thinks you're going to be in one place your whole career, you're sitting there saying, I've done everything good here and we have been successful. And now you're sitting there saying, you know what? This isn't the place I want to be or I'm I'm jarring to be moving forward. Kane also said some people didn't like what Kane said, I refuse to criticize him. We're always complaining that hockey players are boring and don't tell the truth and don't say what they mean. He came right out and said it. We cannot criticize him for that. He came out and said his raw, 
unvarnished truth, and I have no problem with that. Thank him for doing that. He and 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 that's what a lot of these writers are saying. Patrick Kane is is very outspoken. He says what he feels, and he comes out saying what he feels, even if it's going to he's going to be attacked all over social media. And he's been attacked on on what he said about the Rangers. He was pissed off that the Rangers chose Tarasenko over him. He was not happy about that. Yeah, and again, you look at a case of Kane legacy when it comes to the type of player that he is and also his playoff legacy as well. Now, Vladimir Tarasenko, like we said last week, is a very good playoff player, but Patrick Kane has been doing it for a lot longer at that high of a level in the playoffs. And yeah, I can see where he's definitely taking a little bit of a jab at the Rangers for, I guess, choosing him first, if if that's the best term of it. Now, I don't know what the negotiations have been like. I don't know if the Rangers have been necessarily as close as their Would you give up another first round draft pick for Patrick Kane? I, I don't know. If you have a chance to win a, 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 a cup this year, if you have a chance with Tarasenko and Patrick Kane to go to the Stanley Cup this year, when you went to the Eastern Conference Championship and came up short against Tampa last year, and, and obviously Tampa loses against Colorado, get demolished by Colorado, do you think that if you add Patrick Kane to this team, that's the missing piece that can get you to the Stanley Cup? Yeah, I think you have to explore it, especially with if the Blackhawks do end up taking $5.5 million and – of of that salary cap space and the Rangers, they, yeah, they still have to try to play trade somebody else, but they would probably do that like they did with the Tarasenko trade, where Sammy Blay was making I think three million dollars. So they'd have to they'd have to make that work somehow. But still, I I definitely would consider it at the right price too. Now I, I was always advocating for the Rangers to get. They more would have to depth. give one of the young guys on I know this that. roster. I know that, and that's the other thing that would worry me is the Rangers. I, one of the reasons I loved the Tarasenko trade was they kept the kid line together now. That solidifies that. I don't think together. I don't think they have to give any one of those guys up. Okay. You, all right. So you think it's one of their younger, like second level prospects, you think? I think so. Maybe two okay. two of those guys. All right, maybe. Yeah, at that price, you have to consider it if you're the Rangers, too. Especially again, if Toronto if Toronto and other Eastern Conference teams, Carolina was another team that was interested in him too. Especially if Carolina They're not pushing. going to be able to pay Lafreniere in the offseason. They're I don't think they're going to. And and do is he worth paying in the offseason? Lafreniere is not having a good season. I know a lot of Ranger fans are sitting here and saying, well, he's starting to play well on that kid line. Lafreniere and Capococco, as good as these two players are, Capococco should be, you know, he should be a 30-goal scorer now. Or close to a 30-goal scorer. How many goals does he have? 13? Yeah. Again, so the Rangers now don't need him to be that kind of guy for the but short term. Does. But for the long term, you definitely want him. You do need that guy to be that type of player. Mm-hmm. You do. So uh, I, I just I don't know. Uh, Carl Carl says uh, you better get Kane. <laughs> Regular season stats don't mean anything when the guy is a playoff yeah, stud. Yes, make the trade. Blackhawks had to give up young talent to keep their Stanley Cup teams together. Yes, they've done that plenty of times. No doubt about that. When we come back, ladies and gentlemen, we will be talking to Eagles and Phillies Spanish language broadcaster Oscar Budahan here on the Sports Lab Mounts. You're, you're, you're listening to the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. This is the Sports Loudmouths. Oh, Speedy's bringing it back. Don't get up, don't not close to the edge. I'm not letting you lose my head, Eco fans. We are back, ladies and gentlemen. We are the Sports Loudmouths. I'm your host, Aaron Marks, my co-host, Speedy P. 
PD. 631-672-3108 is the number to call. You can go to our website at www.worldwidesportsradio.com. Check out all our shows throughout the week. They are live. You can call the shows. You can interact with our talent throughout the shows throughout the week. We have, uh, you know, obviously football shows. We have some interesting shows on the weekend. Uh, Kenny has a show, which uh, it's interesting. I can tell you that. Uh, our show, the Sports Lamouts, which airs every single Wednesday at 7 p.m. and Thursdays at 9 p.m. Our great guest, our content. We are funny. We like to interact with the fans. The fans hate us sometimes. They love us. Who cares? We're here. Uh, and our second guest of the night, very happy to get him on for the first time on our network and on our show. We are, t- we are now talking to Eagles in Philly, Spanish language broadcaster, Oscar Budahan. Oscar, what's up, man? What's happening? Well, it, uh, can you guys hear me? We yes. hear you very good, man. We okay, hear you very wonderful. Good. Um, well, what can I tell you? We lost the Super Bowl. We lost a golden opportunity. I thought um, the way Jalen Hurts played that game, I mean, we should have won the Super Bowl. And unfortunately, a couple of mistakes and against a team like Kansas City and Patrick Mahomes, you cannot make mistakes. That's the bottom line. Yeah, well, I have uh, the bottom line to argue in so many different points of that game where it uh, threw me off. Uh, I think, uh, you know, the referees – the the calls in the second half were just ridiculous. But uh, uh, before we get into it, how are you doing? How how have you been doing with the pandemic? How are you and your family doing with the pandem- pandemic over the last couple of years? Oh, it's been. I mean, we're we're doing good. Everybody good. Thank God. I mean, uh, safe and, and sound here. Um, look, it's uh, it's been a whirlwind the last four months uh, with the Phillies. I broadcast the Phillies as well as the Eagles. So it's been a World Series uh, and, a, and a Super Bowl that has been surreal. I pinch myself. Look, <laughs> this is real. I mean, it's a Super Bowl and it's a, it's a World Series, but we lost both. So <laughs> I guess there, there is a good and the bad with everything, right? It's a great year for Philadelphia sports. For anything uh, to complain about, even if you lose those championship games, the fact that you were there makes makes Philadelphia sports where you know you want it to be. On top of you know, obviously New York and Boston. We're here in New York. Uh, if we had a Super Bowl and we have a World Series this year, hey. I'd be happy. Everybody would be happy. I'd be happy. I mean, especially my Jets team that hasn't been in the Super Bowl in 53 years. So I, I would I would be, even if they lost that game and it was 35-38, I'd be excited for the Jets. But that's uh, just By me. the way, I had, I had the opportunity to broadcast the Jets versus Cleveland Browns game okay. oh. in Cleveland. That was fascinating. I mean, <laughs> I, was saying, I, I was saying all along, do you believe in miracles? Do you believe in miracles? And the miracle happened, man. Joe the Flacco. miracle happened in that game. See, see, this is where you, where you stop and say, since when did anything like this happen to the Jets? But then you realize it's the Browns. So, of course it can. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Please. I, I, as a Jets I, look, the, the reality is the Jets have, have a great foundation yes. on defense. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, they, need, they need a good quarterback. I mean, all my indications I predicted a few months ago that Aaron Rodgers would be the guy going there. We'll see. Yeah. We'll see what happens. I mean, but Aaron Rodgers would be a great fit in that in that offense. I mean, with that young talent, um, I mean, it's uh, it's I mean, they, they have a, I mean, look, I see a bright future on the Jets, man. They got a great foundation. Oh, they do. And and by the way, we have uh, I have a Patriot fan that made a bet with me. And if he loses and if Aaron Rodgers or Derek Carr goes to the Jets, he has to eat dog poop. So uh, <laughs> on social media. So, Jeff, I, you... <laughs> I, 
I cannot say the same thing about the Pats. The Pats are in a rebuilding mode. Oh, God. Soon enough, they're going to need a new coach. As everybody knows, we are talking to Eagles and Philly Spanish language broadcaster Oscar Pudahan. So, Oscar, why don't we get into the Super Bowl? And it was was a fantastic Super Bowl. And I actually called what was going to happen. I I had the Eagles winning, but I said if the Eagles lose – the Eagles are going to dominate the first half. They're going to go into the fourth quarter with the lead, and then all of a sudden, something miraculously is going to happen. Uh, Patrick Mahomes grows another leg. He runs all over them, and uh, it becomes a field goal game, and then the the Kansas City Chiefs win the game by a field goal, and, and there she blows. It happens exactly the way I called it if Kansas City won. But what were your thoughts? Obviously, uh, by the way, the national anthem was fantastic by Chris Stapleton. It really was. When going into the game with Jalen Hurts, did you think in your wildest dreams that Jalen Hurts was going to outplay the great Patrick Mahomes? I mean, probably not outplay him, but probably play toe-to-toe with him. Um, Look, the the reality is Jalen Hurts have been doing this all year. Um, He got hurt in the the meeting, in the the game against the, the Bears, and um, he had a couple games there where his shoulder was not up to par, but I mean, look, what, what Jalen Hurts did in the Super Bowl is what he's capable of doing, what he's uh, uh, evolving to be. He's not a guy that is going to be a fantastic thrower, uh, but he he made some some throws in this game. N- not so much the A.J. Brown. The A.J. Brown was more of an A.J. Brown adjustment back there against two defenders. He's outstanding uh, with the ball in the air, and he knows how to, how to, how to make those plays. Uh, Devonta Smith is an outstanding uh, wide receiver, as well, and Dallas Goddard, a great a tight end. So he has a complement of three great uh, position players that he can go to. Uh, a couple of the pass, the couple of passes in the third quarter to to Goddard were outstanding. I mean, very few quarterbacks can do that. So he's not the guy that is going to throw very hard, but he's the guy that will. He has learned how to play with touch. He has learned how to uh, manage kind of uh, the game and use kind of a third dimension, right? The first dimension is, is the passing game. The second dimension, the running game. And also his ability to, to be able to run the ball and his intelligence. I think something people undermine is his intelligence. He has the ability to play the RPO. He has mastered the RPO. And the job both Sirianni as well as Steichen, and now he's with Indianapolis, have done in terms of developing an offense custom to Jalen and to his strength is, is what you saw in the Super Bowl. And look, we score 35 points. I mean, if you score 35 points, you need to win a game. So look, Jalen and the offense did what they needed to do. I thought we were going to be able to be more effective in the run game in the middle. I do believe that the footing and the issue with the, with the, with the turf was, a, it made, look, I'm not going to make any excuses on the referees or any excuses on the turf. It impacted both of the team, but it impacted the game itself i thought the inside run was all eagles based on the fact that the that the the, um the chiefs were 19th on defense allowing 4.5 yards per game they were vulnerable to the middle you didn't see that many runs from the middle i mean every time that a running back got the ball they were they're wanting to go outside miles sanders wanted to go outside and i said look you need to run through the middle you got to run north south versus east east west because that and that represented an issue and Look, Sanders was not effective in this game. Yeah, I saw this uh, too, and it looked like the blocky was still pretty good too. And I'm like, where is he cutting to? Boston Scott did it once too, on the right and on the left. The only person that was running very well was Gainwell. Yeah, he was the only one. 
Yeah, Gamewell has been doing that. I mean, he basically took over the, the being the main guy for the running game since the Giants game, and he took it to the 49ers, and he did the same thing at the Super Bowl. Look, uh, unless he wants to come in on a friendly deal, that, that was probably the last game for Miles Sanders in Philly. So the other thing that was a big strength of the Eagles this year that was kind of disappeared in this game was their pass rush. I know the Chiefs' offensive line is fantastic, no question that it is, but you barely saw any pressure in this game by the Eagles' front. Uh, are you surprised that they really couldn't get any leverage, both with their run defense, where the Chiefs rushed for 158 yards in the game, and also with their pass rush? Yeah, I, I do believe, particularly in the pass rush, not so much on defense. I mean, the, the, the run defense has been an issue for this team since the beginning of the year. Uh, at some point, we were 22 in the NFL on on uh, on uh, rushing defense. Uh, but I do believe the turf has a significant impact on our pass rush. Our pass rush is significantly better than the pass rush of the, of the, uh, of the Chiefs. And it did not show in this game. And I think the turf, I mean, and I'm not trying to make any excuses. It impacted both. But the defensive line of the Eagles outside of Chris Jones is better than the defensive line of the of the Chiefs. And I think the turf had a significant impact. Guys are slipping. He couldn't get, they couldn't get good footing. And look, that is key. A guy like a Slay, like uh, not, not a Slay, but Sweat, that has done a tremendous job using his speed in the outer, in the outside or or Hassan Redick that, that came to the game with uh, 19 and a half sacks in 19 games. They, they were they were very, very limited factors. I mean, I saw Hassan Redick a couple of times trying to get to Mahomes. And look, Mahomes is the number one quarterback in the NFL in pressures. Every time Mahomes is under pressure, you only can sack him 10% of the time. So he's kind of Houdini back there. But I did believe that our, our past our rushing would, would be a much – uh, better job. We would do a much, uh, much better job pass rushing the the chief, particularly the tackles, and it was nowhere to be found. We are talking to Eagles and Phillies Spanish language broadcaster Oscar Budahan. You know, Oscar, we, we we watched the game, and and the game went back and forth. It, going from the first half, that was complete domination. As a matter of fact, the Kansas City Chiefs only had the ball for eight minutes, as the uh, as the Eagles had it for tw- over twenty one minutes. They dominated the first half, and you know, obviously, Jalen Hurts dropped that ball, and uh, that defensive touchdown by uh, the Kansas City Chiefs absolutely kept them in the game. And then in the third quarter, I, I just thought it, they the Eagles still were playing at the top of their game, going until. Till like three minutes of the third quarter, then everything started to fall apart. All of a sudden, Patrick Mahomes' his leg is fine. He's running the ball. He's making plays on the run. Something he couldn't do all game long, which made absolutely no sense. Were you surprised that Patrick Mahomes, all of a sudden, he was limping off the field in the second quarter and then came back in the fourth quarter and was running all over that defense, that front, that front seven of the Eagles, which was one of the best front sevens in all of football? Yeah, well... Uh, something happened in the locker room. I'm not sure exactly what they yeah. gave the guy, but the bottom line is the guy looked like Superman in the in the second half of the game. Um, look, Mahomes is Mahomes, right? The best quarterback in the NFL. He's a generational player. Uh, he can do magic. I don't think this game was won by Mahomes. I mean, mm. outside of that run that he made at the end to kind of clinch the game, I don't know, it was like a 29 um, uh Rush. I mean, it was tremendous. Tremendous. Play. That was his best play in the game, in yeah. my opinion. Yeah. Because the, the two passes that he made, it was mistakes on the on the Eagles' defense. I mean, basically, a great scheme ran. Look, the Eagles did a very poor job adjusting to kind of a lot of the shift that um, that Andy Reid put put in this game, and they couldn't find answers. I mean, the 
every time they were shifting and moving in prior to the snap, I mean, the Eagles would fall for it and uh, they would get out of position. And the, the touchdown to Tony and the touchdown, um, the, the last touchdown, I mean, they were they, they were completely, completely. I mean, the, the touchdown to Kelsey was a real touchdown. Yes. It was a mismatch between a safety, uh, Epps and, and, and Kelsey. But the other two touchdowns were misplaced by the defense. I mean, we just did not adjust it properly to the shift. And look, it cost us, it basically, that cost the game. And even, even them scoring them, we had a chance. And, I mean, unfortunately, the ref threw that flag there. And uh, Jalen Hurts could have had the clock with the Chief up by three with a minute and 43 and a couple of timeouts. And anything could have happened then. And we don't know. Uh, the ref took it away. So it is what it is. The ref took it away last, uh, you know, two weeks ago against the Bengals, too. And I don't care what anybody says. Yes, that was a penalty. Absolutely was a penalty on hitting Patrick Mahomes on the outside of the, the, uh, the hash. But... To me, you don't call that in a big game. You don't call that. And that gave, that gave them, uh, you know, obviously field goal range and put them in a position to win the game. And I, I, obviously, we don't know what could have happened if it went to overtime, but you don't do that. You don't do that. And, and again, I, I thought it was unsportsmanlike for, for the Kansas City Chiefs to do the things that they did at the end of the game, not giving the Eagles opportunity. This is the Super Bowl. There are millions and people, millions of people watching the game. I understand you're trying to win the game, but you want to see craziness happen in the Super Bowl. And you don't want to take that away from a team because, hey, you know what? I'm going to kneel. I'm going to make sure that we don't score the touchdown. I'll kick the field goal quick so we don't give them a chance to win the game or come back or bring it to overtime. I, I just I don't like that. I, it's football. Yeah, it's a game. Yeah, it is football. And look, at the end of the day, is uh, is within the rules and you're going to win the Super Bowl. And mm. I mean, I would have probably done the Eagles would have done the same thing. I mean, I, I don't think I don't that think was the so. Issue. I mean, it, it's just a call. I mean, the, that, that call in that moment, I mean, in an NBA finals, you won't call that in a, in a Super Bowl. I mean, in the, in the fourth quarter, you will not make that call. And they were holes before that that were, were interferences that were significantly worse than this one. I mean, that, that is a fact. But you know what? It, it, it is what it is. I mean, I, I was disappointed. Um, I thought we had a very good chance coming into this game. My, my, my final score was 30, 28 Eagles. Um, look, I would have loved for Jalen to have that minute and 43 seconds to try to prove the magic. He did something very similar against the Indianapolis Colts. And I look, the, the guy is special. I mean, there is one thing that came out of all this, uh, which is extremely positive is Jalen Hurst is a franchise quarterback and he's a special talent. I mean, he's, he doesn't have the same passing capabilities that Mahomes has, but Mahomes doesn't have the running. What that guy, what that kid did in that two-point conversion shows you who Jalen Hurts is. He's a man with a mission. He's he has a will to win, and he's going to do whatever it takes for him, from for him and his team to to be able to win the game. Uh, but before I get to my question, one of our fans, Carl, says uh, in Spanish or English, getting burned by the same play twice for a touchdown is no bueno. <laughs> no bueno. Uh, so my question is about the coaching, specifically, like you're saying, the, the defense uh, not being able to guard a lot of those yards for the catch, short passes, stuff like that. And the offense, too, having trouble running to the outside, running up the middle. Do you blame that more on the coaching, or do you think that was just more of the players just not executing? And, and we know both those assistant coaches have been very good throughout the year as they both just got head coaching jobs. Oh. Yeah, well, that's a, that's a different that's a different question. <laughs> let, let, let's separate that. Look. Gannon brought to this team, uh, to this game, the fourth best defense in the NFL. Mm -hmm. um, 
look, they were number one in passing. There's a reason why they were the number one passing. I mean, there's a lot of people are going to say, well, they didn't play anybody. Well, they play Aaron Rodgers. They play Tannehill. They play Dak Prescott. Uh, they play a number of them. But in the second half, look, the reality is that Mahomes was 13 out of 14. Um, and they ran, I think it's 114 yards out of the 158 they had in the game. They ran a lot more than I would have expected we were going to allow them to do. Look, but in those two plays, to me, is the first one, I'll, I'll give it on the players. I'll put it on the players that they should have seen what was happening for a moment. Uh, they lost track of where, they, where the coach, where the player was trying to adjust the defense. But on the second one, you should have made an adjustment and know where this was going because they were both motion fakes. And, I mean, we fell – both times we fell for the same play. As everybody knows, we are talking to Eagles and Philly Spanish language broadcaster Oscar Budahan. So why don't we get into the Phillies and going to the World Series, uh, firing Joe Girardi in the middle of the season. Thompson takes over. To me, manager of the year. He, he was unbelievable. He should, he Transition Absolutely. to change this team for the better. Uh, it got everybody to play the way he, the, Joe Girardi, expected them to play before he got fired. Uh, the bullpen started pitching better. I, I mean, Thompson really got this team. What was it? What was the difference between Joe Girardi and Thompson when he took over as the manager? Yeah, I think, look, it, they have different personalities, and their personalities absolutely showed. Uh, throughout the season. So in the first part where Joe was there, Joe is a lot more uh, demanding. He has a, a lot more of a regiment approach to things. Uh, with, when uh, Thompson took it, I mean, took, took the, the team, he basically said, look, I trust you. I know you're going to do the right thing. And he was, he, he's a lot more of a player's manager, kind of allowing them, believing in them, trusting them and giving them full ownership. And look, the reality is this team is, is a team that has a lot of, Uh, players that have a lot of experience. I mean, Harper, Schwarber, Romuto, I mean, Hoskins. I mean, th these are not young players anymore. I mean, these are players that that have that that know how to play the game, and he basically trusted them to to lead the way. And look, Schwarber did an amazing job. He's more of a vocal leader in the team. Harper is more kind of, I'll show you what we're capable of doing. I mean, and look, everything came together at the end of the season, and it was magical. It was absolutely magical, and together with the, what the fans were able to do and the players, it just started building up, building up, and we beat the, the Cardinals, we beat the Braves, we beat the Padres, and we found ourselves beating, I mean, or in Houston, uh, but we couldn't do it. Their pitching was significantly in a much better shape than we were. I mean, they had a six-man rotation in September. We had, I mean, we uh, Nola and Wheeler, I mean, their, their arms were about falling, so their arms were about to fall off. So, I mean, they, we couldn't pitch anymore. I mean, our, our pitching just basically got tired. So what about the Phillies offseason? They were very active, and I thought for very good bargains, too. Trey Turner was the big name. 11 years, $300 million. Took $40 million less to go to Philadelphia than go to the Padres. Taiwan Walker, I'm a Mets fan. I know I know how he could pitch, and uh, he got a good bargain, too. Four years, 72. Matt Strom, a good contract to help out that bullpen. And Craig Kimbrell. So what do you what do you think of those offseason moves? Yeah, and the other one was Gregory Soto uh, bringing the closer oh, yeah, from, yep. from Detroit, uh, bringing him over. So, look, I think we have a very, very strong team. Uh, there's a guy that I want to – you need to remember this name, Andrew Painter. Mm -hmm. Okay. Andrew Painter is the best pitching prospect in baseball. He's a right-handed uh, pitcher. 
He's going into his second year, and he's probably going to be the fifth starter of the of the Phillies. This dude is special. I mean, when I tell you special, he is a special talent. Uh, he, I think he's the next Berlander here. I mean, in, when I look at him pitching, he is a stud. He's going to be a number one in a couple of years, two or three years. I mean, he's moving very, very fast, and there's a high likelihood that he will become a fifth starter. They're going to limit his innings. It's very possible that the Phillies go to a six-man rotation, so we can minimize, you can minimize, especially in the beginning of the year, Wheeler, Nola, that pitched too many innings last year, and also Andrew Painter, so you can manage the inning, and then Falter could be the sixth guy, together with Ranger and, and Walker. And look, Walker is a good pitcher. Um, I like what he brings. He's a good three or four pitcher. Um, he, sometimes he's on, he's, sometimes he's off. But when he's bringing his uh, his cutter, I mean, the, the, the kid could 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 be a, a great asset for this team. As everybody knows, we are talking to Eagles and Philly Spanish language broadcaster Oscar Budahan. Oscar, obviously Bryce Harper is one of the leaders of this team. He is going to be out for half the season. Uh, a lot of people said that the reason why Trey Turner came here was Bryce Harper, being that they're very close. They played with the Nationals. They grew up together. And uh, having the elbow surgery, he wasn't 100%. He didn't like the fact that there was the DH was going to the National League. It helped out in the playoffs. It kept him in the lineup. And now the DH is is there right now in the National League for forever now. Uh, what are your thoughts to the DH in the National League? And what are your thoughts to Bryce Harper coming back and being a big part of the second half of this Philadelphia Phillies team? The baseball that we live in the 80s and the 90s is different than the baseball we're living today. The world moved to analytics. The world moved to shifts. The world moved to a number of different things. And the team. And the other thing is the game got too long. I mean, it's taking too long. Each game is taking four and a half hours. So basically, four to four and a half hours. So I think some of the rules that are taking place about avoiding shifts so we can have more hits and uh, being able to have that pitching count, which is going to be interesting how pitchers pitch in the beginning of the year are, are significant changes. I mean, it's going to impact the game. I mean, there are some pitchers that are right now bulking or there are pitchers that take their time or throw three or four times to first base before going to home plate. Change The game is going to change. And the reality is that it's changing. Uh, the game, the name of the speed is going to play a little bit more of a, a probing your role. Hitters, uh, left-handed hitters are probably going to be benefiting from mm-hmm the avoiding and shift. So we're going to see a change in the game, uh, hopefully for the better. And we're going to see games that are a little bit shorter with regards to Trey Turner. To me, he's a superstar. He is to, to me, he's a Joe Burrow of football. Uh, this, this kid, he's not Patrick Mahomes, but he's Joe Burrow. This kid can do anything on the football, on the, on the baseball uh, diamond. He, he's not the greatest shortstop, but with a bat in his hand, this guy can hit for power. He can be an RBI man. He can be a leadoff. He he can be a, a, a tremendous base runner. One of the most complete hitters in the game. I, I would put him up there with the Trouts of this world, uh, the Harpers of wow. this world. I mean, the, hmm. the Sotos of this world. He He's a very, I mean, you, you look at his war. I mean, he is a special talent. I mean, hitting wise, I mean, Trey Turner and then, you can name him with the best in the game. I mean, he is a very, very special talent. He's going to be covering shortstop for the Phillies for the next 10 years. Yeah. So I, I love the idea. I mean, la- last year, I'll, I'll tell you this uh, quote. Last year in the middle of the year, I knew that he was a free agent. And Harper, I knew that Harper had said, well, he's my best friend. Or I consider him to be the best uh, player in baseball. I say, Trey Turner come to this team next year. 
the Phillies are making it to the World Series. Well, you know what? The World Series came in a year before, even without Trey Turner. Now with Trey Turner, I can tell you we can win the World Series. Mm. It, it will all depend on the pitching. At the end of the day, the pitching will dictate if we can win or not. I think it has a lot to do with managing, too. And I, I think Thompson sure. has been everything you wanted Joe Girardi to be. And, and, and the fact that Joe Girardi jumped from a couple of years after the Yankees to go over there to Philadelphia and really not produce, it's going to be very hard for Joe Girardi to find another job. I, I don't care what anybody says. Uh, the way he, he manages, and he's he's an old-time type of manager, and everybody doesn't like Aaron Boone here in New York, but everything that Aaron Boone does is is really analytics. He follows the analytics. Girardi wasn't that type of guy. You know, he had his analytics, but he did it the old way. He followed the old way. So uh, that's the difference, I think, in Joe Girardi and Thompson. So my question is, Oscar, uh, uh, you mentioned pace of play. And uh, how, is it, how is it different from the perspective of a broadcaster like yourself and also from the players? And some of these new rule changes we're seeing now, they kept the ghost runner, they made bigger bases. How do you think they'll have an impact on the game? I mean, I think the, the, the ghost – I've never been a fan of the ghost runner. I do believe that you need to play at least a couple of innings – regular baseball before you go bring a ghost runner at second base. I think that changes the game too much. Uh, I do believe that if the game after, let's say, a 10th and 11th inning, you are not able to score the run, then you bring the ghost runner in. And I, I would be fine with that. But I do, I don't, I personally, I'm not a fan of the ghost runner. You you ask about the DH. Look, um, I, I like the difference. I, I like the I used to like a lot the National League where you need to become a more strategist, but it creates a, a bigger burden on pitching because you're gonna pitch, you're gonna be in the fifth inning and you're gonna have the opportunity with two men on base, men on second and third with two outs, and wow, my pitcher is coming to bat. What am I going to do? So many times if it's not your one or two, you're probably gonna pitch hit for the guy and you you the game has a different strategy to it. I like that. But unfortunately, that has gone away. So it's fine. Look, it is what it is. We took advantage of that. We have not. We would not have made it to a World Series. The Phillies would not have made it to a World Series if, if we wouldn't have the DH and Harper would have been there. I mean, that's the reality of it. And so, so I think, look, you you run with what you have and you make the most out of it. And I think positive. I, I do believe the biggest part is going to be the the mount the pitching. Uh, and the guys not being able to throw more than a, a one or two times to first base. I mean, that is going to impact the game significantly because people are going to be, you're going to have to think very, very carefully when you throw to first base. You're going to have to be able to move fast 15 seconds or 20 seconds. There's a pitcher, Luis Garcia, with the Houston Astros. I mean, what he does is bulk right now. The new rules, he's bulking every time. So he's going to have to change his mechanic. Mm-hmm. How is that? Go- he's probably been pitching like that. For the last, I don't know, five, eight years. How is that going to impact him as a pitcher? If you ask him to change his windup and how he's going to do that, is he going to make him wild? Is he going to, I mean, what's going to happen to him? I don't know, but I know he's not going to be the same pitcher he was before mm. because you're, you're messing with his, with his, uh, the way he, mm-hmm. he's, he mechanically goes to him, play, to home plate. So look, it's going to impact the game. Uh, I think it will speed up the game, which is great. I find that great. I, I think. Some of these games just take forever. I mean, I remember one game last year. I think it was like 16-8 or something like that against the the or a couple of years ago against the Cubs. I would say, when in the world is this game going to end? I mean, and you're in the in the fifth inning and you're winning. I don't know by eight or nine or ten runs, and you go like, oh my goodness, <laughs> when is this going to end? Look, it's the reality. I'm, and look, it's baseball, and I love baseball, and 
I have I have a passion for the sport. I played it all my life when I lived in Venezuela. Um, I played in college. They are impacting the essence of the game. So it's it's complex. I mean, it's complex to understand with the DH, the timing, the the bases, the the whiting on the bases. I think it's more for safety reasons, which is fine. I don't have that big of an issue with that. Uh, but the 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 timing. I mean, the the speed to 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 the to home plate that is going to impact a lot of pitchers. Who do you think is the best team in the National League? The Braves, the Mets, or your Philadelphia Phillies? Um, I do believe that at the top are the the Braves and the Phillies, and the Mets are are number wow. three. Uh, look, I, I I am a look. I've I've been in this game for such a long time that. I have my doubts when pitch, pitch when pitchers are a certain age, mm. they're not the same guys. I agree with you. Schwarzer, Berlander, and Quintana, mm-hmm. three pitchers they got. I mean, Senior they're citizens. all in <laughs> what was that? Senior citizens. <laughs> yeah, I mean, in the baseball world, they're look, I understand the talent. Okay. I Schwarzer is and Berlander are probably, if not the two best, they're probably the two best players in our generation. I no problem. I don't have a problem with that. But the reality is, how how many times are they going to go into the DL this year? Mm-hmm. Schwarzer have gone at least a couple of times, two years in a row. I mean, look at the Graham. I mean, he's already hurting. I mean, I, I read today that he's already hurting and he's going to miss yep. a few days. Yep. I mean, so pitching is a very very complex game. That's why I'm very worried about Wheeler and Nola's arm that they pitch so much that we're going to have to control their innings very, very carefully because I'm very concerned that they pitched so many innings last year that it could impact them and they could get tired at some point this year. I do believe the Mets have depth. So they have they have they have a lot of depth. I don't know how much depth. I know the Yankees have depth and thank God that they do. They do have depth in pitching. I mean they have they have a left hander a left handed pitcher uh and a right handed pitcher that could play long innings yeah. or they could go immediately and they brought the guy from uh from the far east which is a good pitcher. I mean everything on the on everything describes that he's going to be a good pitcher. He's going to be their number four starter. So it's going to be an interesting season yeah. in the East. I, I do believe, look, one thing Turner brings a dimension to the Phillies they didn't have last year that the Mets have had. The Mets were a contact hitter last year. They have Alonso was their big hitter, mm-hmm. but all the other hitters were contact hitters. Turner brings a level of contact in the top of the order of the Phillies that is going to bring a lot more runs than they had before. So I, I do believe that the Braves have probably, when you look at the, just like the Eagles versus the Chiefs, right? The the Eagles have the top, a great roster of 53, but the bigger roster, the Braves, but the Phillies are not too far. Oscar, we really appreciate you for the time. I know you're uh, probably sad or upset about the weekend. Super Bowl, the Phillies knocking, being knocked. Good problem to have. Yeah, and I'm going to be spring training to, next week. So I'll be I'll be a happy camper next week. We're going <laughs> back to uh, spring uh, in Florida. It's a nice, a nice time of the year. Well, have fun, my yes, friend. We'll fun. get you on soon, my friend. Hey. Thank you guys for the opportunity. Absolutely. All the best to you and, Thank and your you. listeners. Thank you. So. Thank you, man. Oscar, Keep on bringing it. Take Oscar Budahan. He's fantastic. He really is. Good guy. Good yes. guy. He knows his uh, Eagles and Phillies. It's uh, great, great content right there. Mm-hmm. If, you're, if you're a Phillies fan or an Eagles fan, uh, it's fantastic. It really is. Yeah, he yeah. knows his stuff. Oh, he yeah. really does. Definitely. I, I want to finish up with hockey. We were just talking about Patrick Kane and – and we have uh, we have about 25 minutes left of the show. And I, you look at this Patrick Kane thing, and there's so much that could happen in the next couple of weeks. And I do believe Patrick Kane will be traded. I do. 
I, I think he'll be traded. But the question is, you hear Dallas is interested. You hear, uh, you hear obviously the Golden Knights are interested. And the Golden Knights, it's crazy. The Golden Knights have made move after move after move at the trade deadline every yeah. single year. They find a way to make a move and add a splash of a player. And does it work? It, it, it didn't work last year. It, it didn't work the year before that. And the Golden Knights haven't won, uh, they haven't won a Stanley Cup, but they have been very close. And, and going into the St- Stanley Cup playoffs this year, they're definitely making the playoffs. The question is, do they have the right pieces that can get them over the hump? Colorado Avalanche has not really had a good first half. I They're too talented to not get into the playoffs with the speed and their ability that they have to, to make another run this year. And the West is so wide open because – the, the dominance comes from the Eastern Conference. Right. It really is. The Metropolitan Division, it's so difficult. Yeah. I, I, and this is why I say the, the Islanders should be sh- sellers. Losing that game yesterday to the Ottawa Senators in a shootout and then losing against Montreal on Saturday, it's pretty telling to me that the Islanders are not making the playoffs. Okay, it, it's just As an Islander fan, I'm just speaking the truth. And all you Islander fans, you can hate me for this. I'm speaking the truth. They have Bo Horvat. He's a good player. They have Matthew Barzell. He's a good player. Sorokin's a good player. Dobson looks like a good player. They have Pellick. They have some good pieces. They just don't have the right pieces. And maybe I, I see Lou Lamorello reaching or trying to reach. He didn't reach on Bo Horvat. I think that was a great trade. Yeah. They, they've they added a good player moving forward for this organization, especially Barzell must be loving it because he finally has a player. And go look at Barzell's numbers since they've got they've received uh, in the trade Bo Horvat. I mean, his numbers are significantly better. I think in he's played with Bo, Bo Horvat in four or five games. I think he has four points yeah. or five points. And he has a point streak, I think, of four games in a row. Yeah, so yeah. It, it's definitely helping – Matthew Barzell, it, it just, to me, there's just so many deficiencies in this team right now. And maybe Lambert isn't the guy. Maybe he isn't. And I, Lou might have made a mistake when he decided uh, to move forward with uh, with Lambert. Lane Lambert is a good coach. I just don't know what the team, the way it's built, it's built the way he wants to coach this team. And I, I think going into the offseason, if it's not Lou that's going to make the decisions now, I hope it's not his son. <laughs> But uh, they need to find somebody going into the offseason if Lou decides to step down that knows hockey and understands moving forward with this organization. Because there are – if they, they trade away pieces and they are sellers at the trade deadline, and Brock Nelson is definitely a guy that teams would very much be interested in. Mm-hmm. Very much. And they just gave away their first-round draft pick for Bo Horvat. If they could trade Brock for a first-round draft pick and maybe a third, I would do that. Yeah. I would do that to a team that's going, you know, in this going to the Stanley Cup and the and the playoffs. And and Brock is a good player and the the Islanders have an abundance of centers on their team. So, uh, not in their farm system and that's why I think the Islanders should really try to gain back a first round draft pick cuz this draft has a lot of centers in it. A lot, especially in the first round. I, I, I heard there could be like 10 or 12 centers that could be drafted in the first round this year. So, um, there's a there's an abundance of centers that could be drafted in the first round this year or even the second round, and I think the Islanders need to decide to to be sellers because they can't compete right now. Even and, and this is not to attack the Islanders because I'm an Islander fan. They can't compete with the Rangers. Mm-hmm. They can't. 
And again, you've seen Lou Lamorello definitely still stay aggressive, at least for now, in, t- in terms of buying. But there's definitely some value that they could possibly get to be able to maneuver these contracts. Even if they do sell Nelson as well, his $5 million, and maybe somebody like Varlamov at $6.5 million, and then buy something else, too. I wouldn't rule that out knowing Lou Lamorello, but you're right. I think the direction you have to definitely look at for a center and for a goaltender like Brock Nelson, like Varlamov, who's better than some of the goalies out West, they'd have to definitely have to look at that in the Western Conference has a lot of surprise playoff teams this year. Vegas, we expected to be good, but... Dallas, Winnipeg. I liked Winnipeg at the start of the year, but not a lot of people did. And everyone else is kind of a surprise. The Kraken, the Kings, the Oilers. The reason why I brought yeah. up the Islanders is I didn't I, – I, I don't think the Islanders should go after Patrick Kane. No, there's no reason to They really – right now, the way they're, they're chasing – I mean, Pittsburgh has two games in hand. I, Buffalo's got three games in hand or something like that. There's no way the Islanders are going – winning – they're not winning. They're tying and then losing against teams – that are not even playoff teams. Mm. Ottawa's not a playoff team. Oh, they're a borderline playoff team. I, y- you have the Canadians. Yeah, the Canadians they lost to twice. The Canadians stink. Yeah, I mean they shouldn't be losing against the Canadians. And they lost to the Coyotes twice too. They shouldn't be help. losing against the Coyotes. Uh, so and and now they have Pittsburgh this week and Boston this week. They have to win those games. And if you're losing against the Canadians and you're losing against the Ottawa Senators, you have no chance against Pittsburgh. You have no chance. Against the Boston Bruins, so and yes, the Boston Bruins haven't played well since the All Star break. They really, and even going into the All Star break, they haven't played well. I mean, in their last ten games, I think they've lost five out of the last ten or twelve games. So yeah, they're bound to go down after a historic pace. But yeah, yeah, but I again, the Islanders. If you're looking at the standings right now, you have to be sellers. You have to be. And Alexander Romanov, who I I like that trade. I like the trade uh, in the offseason, even though they had to give up a first round. He has not played well in the last 14 games. As a matter of fact, his plus minus, I think, is at a minus 10 or a minus 12 right now in his last 13, 14 games. That's not good. And he says he has to play better. I mean, I I listen to his interviews. I have to play better. I should be playing better. And he's not. And the, this should be worrisome to you because he's a young player. The Islanders gave up a first-round draft pick for him. And uh, they expected him to be the counterpartner for Noah Dobson. And and Noah Dobson, in the last 14 games, has not played well either. Right. So, I, I, I mean, that's alarming. And, and that might be the scheme. It might be Lambert's, the, the way he's playing, and he's pushing these players offensively. Mm-hmm. This is a more defensively sound team. Right, and it might be a product of having certain players have to and do Barry too much. And Barry Trotz so. is no longer behind the bench. I mean, yeah. Barry, Barry Trotz is a genius. Mm-hmm. He's a genius, and and Lou Lamorello thought that they can win without him, and and I I think it was a big mistake. And, and now going into the off season, I, I mean, obviously they're not going to be they're not going to bring Barry Trotz back if they fire Lane Lambert, mm-hmm. but they have to decide. Okay, if Lane's not the guy, or or they've seen enough of Lane, they have to find the right guy. And maybe it's not. Maybe leaving it up to Lou Lamorello might be a, a decision that ownership needs to make because. Um, even though I've listened to um, Ledecky and what he has said that in trust in, in, in Lou we trust, you can't trust Lou right now. And even Lou making that trade for Bo Horvat and giving him the contract, he said as a joke, and I don't care what he says, it was too too long and too much. I mean, you give one of the better players in the NHL right now a contract like that, and you traded him for practically nothing, and that's the truth. And then you're complaining about giving him the contract and giving him the money. I just, 
it it just doesn't make sense. And and you you have a goaltender now that you can depend on, even though there were certain games against Vancouver, I thought he gave up some bad goals. You have a goalie that you can ride with, especially in the Stanley Cup playoffs when you need a goaltender that can stand on his head. Zach Parisi could go. You can get something back for him. Brock Nelson could go. Uh, Volamov could go. Uh, I'm, I'm looking at the squad. Sizikis could go. Hmm. I, I mean, jo- I don't know if you can get rid of Josh Bailey, but maybe if you can move Josh, uh, John Gabriel uh, Pajot. Oh, yeah. That's uh, he could go. Yeah, I mean, top he's one, off guy. Absolutely. Uh, absolutely could go. Uh, Kyle Palmieri, even though his contract was a little long, maybe they can move him. I mean, they're not going to give up all these guys. But if you get rid of four or three of these guys, it gives you enough money in the offseason to say, even if you, you trade these guys for some players that are young that could turn into better players with you know going to another roster. But you'll have money to spend in the offseason. Well, if, if a Meyer becomes available, if he doesn't get traded, or if he does get traded and he doesn't want to sign with that team— they could bring in a Timo Meyer next year to play on your second line and give you that offense that you need, or a defenseman, or, or of the of of the uh, of a higher magnitude that they don't have right now on the roster. Who knows? Mm-hmm. But they need to decide if this team is good enough with the roster that they have together. And Mayfield should be traded too because they're probably not re-signing him him because they don't have the money to resign him. Right, and again, that's the going back to Patrick Kane. That's the reason why the Islanders really can't do it right now. Because even with the Horvat trade, the Islanders are could have eleven million dollars in the offseason. That's not right now. The Islanders have to still manage stuff right now, and be able to make those kind of trades. I think Nelson or Pajot too, because they're both similar contracts and Give similar them both. Types of players. Give them both. Definitely should look at to be traded as well as Varlamov, who maybe isn't a starting goalie, but could definitely be a one A one B. He's a starting goalie on a level teams. wise. Yeah, level wise, it depends on where he ends up traded to, whether he actually is a starting goalie, but at least to be a better backup in some. He's places. a good playoff goaltender. Yeah, and. I think teams should definitely pursue that so they don't have to try to wear one goalie out in the playoffs. Now, if a goalie's a hot hand, that's a whole different story. But still, there's a lot of surprise teams out west that could definitely use a goalie platoon to make that kind of thing work. I think the Kings, the LA Kings, with Jonathan Quick, the age he's at, is a good spot for somebody like Varlamov, a surprising contending team. Yes, they have a negative goal differential. I don't know if they're a for real team, but if they end up buying, I wouldn't be surprised if they end up trying something like that. And they could definitely use offensive depth, too. So the Islanders definitely have a lot of Pacific Division teams teams that they could look at if they want to trade somebody out west, either Nelson, Pajot, or Varlamov. I think all three of them are definitely good candidates. And then they could try to maneuver the money in order to trade for something bigger later. Now, you mentioned that Patrick Kane, or the Blackhawks, will be willing to take on half of the contract for Patrick Kane. Maybe if they do end up trading one or two of those guys, then they could go back and play. But how long will that take? I don't want to bring, I, I don't want to bring Patrick Kane in, especially if he's a free agent, because you're probably not going to be able to re-sign him. And, and even if the – Vladimir Tarasenko is probably not going back to the Rangers. When, when Patrick Kane becomes a free agent this offseason, he's either going to sign – with the Maple Leafs or sign with the Rangers. Okay. That's probably what's going to happen. Those are the two teams he wants to play for. He'll take less money to go to either or of those teams. Mm-hmm. He wants to play with Panarin, and he wants to play with Matthews and, and Tavares. So I, I think no matter what happens to Kane this going in going in the trade deadline, he in the offseason, that's probably the two teams he wants to play for. Uh, Frankie Montaz will undergo shoulder surgery, will miss half of the season. Some people say he could miss a full season. Now, um, there are some execs that say that it's not as bad as it seems. It is a shoulder surgery. He could be out for at least five months. Uh, if, If the Yankees are a playoff team, which they're expected to be this year, you probably could get Montaz 
back in August or July, at the end of July, August, for maybe the last month, month and a half of the season, going into September, uh, it could give them a boost. But a shoulder surgery, especially with Luis Savarino, and this is kind of like the, it's not as bad as Luis Savarino's shoulder surgery, but it's bad to have shoulder surgery on your throwing arm. And for what the Yankees gave up for Frankie Montas, the Athletics didn't. I believe the Athletics knew that, that that he had a throwing problem, and he had a shoulder problem. The Yankees didn't do their due diligently, and um, I think it's affected. You know, Frankie Montas. It was when you have a guy that was up for a Cy Young two years ago, three years ago. He was a top six pitcher in the major leagues, and then all of a sudden this year just fall apart and. And then the Yankees bring him in, and he his his ERA was close to ten. This is a guy that could, he's a strikeout pitcher, he's a power pitcher, and he's a control pitcher. He's very good at controlling his pitching. And when he lost control, and it had nothing to do with the Yankees or playing in New York, he didn't look right as soon as maybe because his aunt died, but his shoulder was not right. And then going into the playoffs and and bringing him back in the playoffs, he didn't look right. His shoulder wasn't turning. You heard, obviously, the pitching coach and what he said. Uh, the mechanics were off. The mechanics were off because his shoulder wasn't healthy. And this is the this is the one thing I can blame on Brian Cashman. You trade away three pitching prospects, two of them really good. Sears could be a really good pitcher in the major leagues. He looked really good when he was traded to the A's. Volvachuk, the Yankees' fifth best prospect, their their one of the, their best pitching prospect. They traded him. And and uh, they loved him. Mm-hmm. Biggest riser for yeah, the Yankees. Prospects. They loved him, and the A's really love him too. Uh, it scares me if the kid becomes a Cy Young candidate or a top pitcher in the uh, you know the A's organization, and you have a pitcher in Frankie Montas that might never be the same. Mm-hmm. And it's the same thing we were discussing too with the Yankees bullpen injuries last year. The timing of them and the way they the Yankees approached it seemed very in between indecisive and sometimes it's not the way to go. And you look at it with especially somebody like Michael King, who finally got the Tommy John surgery, but still later, now he's going to come back later in the season. And it's not ideal for a Yankees bullpen that definitely has some other injuries. And again, Frankie Montez is not a reliever, but still those really those starters or those those starting depth if somebody else gets hurt you're gonna have to put relievers in starting roles and the Yankees are gonna have to be very creative with how they manage it and that kind of thing doesn't help so if they knew if the Yankees knew that Frankie Montez had all these shoulder issues it doesn't look good that they waited this long to be able to have him get surgery too especially since even even if he did come back in the playoffs how well was he gonna pitch it's not like other sports like football or hockey where you could leave some injured player out as a decoy baseball is a lot more individually driven, especially as a pitcher, where it's kind of hard to do that kind of thing with that approach, especially with a pitcher. And Frankie Montez is somebody that has powerful stuff, like you were saying, great strikeout guy when he's on. You don't want him to lose that kind of velocity and that kind of break on his on his best pitches. No, I, I, I agree with you. I just think when you look at the Yankees and, and the position that the Yankees are in, having Frankie Montez as your number five pitcher Going into the year, you have the best rotation in baseball. It, it's now you lose him. You 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 get Domingo Herman there, but what happens if one of these guys get hurt early in the season? Luis Savarino gets hurt, right. or or Nestor Cortez gets hurt, and he's not one hundred percent healthy going into a year where he's going to want a contract after this year. Uh, that's scary. It's scary. And and Carlos Rodon, I think he's the best acquisition pitcher this offseason. Here's oh, yeah. the problem. Is he going to stay healthy the whole season? He's coming to New York. He's he's expected to do big things in New York, uh, and obviously pitching behind 
one of the better pitchers in the major leagues. So, and Garrett Cole. So, I, I, I still sit here with the Yankees. I still think they have the best rotation in baseball. Still, even losing Frankie Montez for half the season. The question is, is this bullpen a lot better than it was last year? They did add some pieces. Uh, they do get King back this year. Do they move Schmidt into the bullpen again, or do they put him in the rotation, which they expect to be a starting pitcher? There was a lot of teams that were interested in Schmidt uh, in trade talks last year. Even the A's were for Frankie Montas. I believe it. They didn't want to trade him. They they thought that he it could be a good future fourth starter for the Yankees, maybe a third guy, uh, especially if Luis Severino doesn't sign with the Yankees next year, which probably he won't because he's going to want a tremendous amount of money. Now, he took less money because he knew he had shoulder problems a couple of years ago, and the Yankees knew that he was going to sit the bench and ride the bench for two years because he needed to recuperate that shoulder. Frankie Montas, he's still a young player. Do I see the Yankees believing that it's as bad as a Savarino shoulder? I don't think they think that. I, I the Saying that he could miss half the season tells me that it's not as bad as Luis Savarino. Yeah, I think half the season was definitely the minimum basis. It seems like it's most likely going to be up until September that he's going to be out. But either way, I still think the Yankees still have enough depth to be able to manage it if they can manage the other injuries too. And, and let this trades. be a lesson. And let this be a lesson for the way they manage Luis Severino as well. And even the managing some of the other bullpen guys last year, we've seen the Yankees. Definitely the lesson have- is they should have before they they went after Frankie Montas. They should have they should have given him the proper, uh, you know. Um, yeah, you get the information. Uh, the information. Right, yeah. They should have did a little bit more research on his shoulder before they made this trade. Right. And I know they go through that whole thing with you know with their trainers and their doctors before they make the trade. But they obviously there was something significantly wrong with his shoulder. Mm-hmm. And even if there is a little bit of concern, at least be able to manage that accordingly. Because the Yankees didn't make that right towards the end of the trade deadline, so I don't know how much more time they had. But, yeah, they definitely have to do some level of investigating better in terms of trading for for these pitchers with these injuries. Because we even saw it, too, with somebody like James Paxton, too. How many injury problems he had in Seattle, the Yankees traded for him, too. Not not that they got bad value for him, because Justin Sheffield hasn't done much in the majors, and they didn't trade much besides that. But, again, they really didn't manage him properly, either. And he never really developed, except for that, like, last end of the season as a Yankee. In well, James Paxton hasn't been 100% healthy really since he left Seattle. I know that. He was on Boston this uh, this past year and never played. Mm, right. So, I, I mean, James Paxton, and I've heard that the Mets were interested in bringing James Paxton uh, this offseason uh, in their rotation. Another guy that uh, maybe they can take a you know flyer on and maybe they get lucky. And, and maybe, uh, obviously, there's still some pitchers that are available where uh, the Yankees could make a, you know, a change, uh, it, you know, going into spring training, uh, pitchers and catchers. If if they need a pitcher, there are a couple of guys that are still available where the Yankees can make the move. But they're still looking for a left fielder. I mean, uh, that's what they're looking for. And, and and to me, that's the most important position that the Yankees are looking for. So uh, I, I I think I you sit here and you wonder what the Yankees did wrong with the whole uh, Frankie Montas thing is is that they didn't do their research uh, when they made that trade. They gave up some three really good young pitchers. Now, we've seen them make trades with the A's and some of those some of those uh, you know, prospects never turned out to be anything. Right. So, but uh the Sears looked really good this year when he he was traded. I think he was at one point five and oh before he started As to a lose. Spot starter, yes. Yeah. And uh Waterchuk, he's a guy that they uh, the Yankees loved. So uh, and they expect him to be a part of their future for the many, many years to come, especially in a in a great pitcher's ballpark in in Oakland. So yeah, 
Um, MLB confirms new rule changes for 2023 season, including a pitch clock and a banning of the shift. We we spoke about this with obviously um, our two our two guests tonight, uh, Brian Pena especially. I love that there is no more shifting. I love it. It's going to open up the game offensively. It's going to help the left-handed hitters. 100% expect it. If you're a switch hitter like a Hicks, it's going to benefit him. He's going to try to hit more lefty than he is righty because he could pull the ball. And, you know, even some of the righties, like John Carlos Stanton is a pull ball hitter. So he likes to hit it to left field. So does this help him? 100% helps him. So... I uh, I think that certain players are going to benefit this year. I expect this, and Joey. I don't know where Joey Gallo is going to play this year. I don't know where he is. Uh, is he playing on a roster right now? But Joey Gallo's numbers, it, whoever he plays for this year, will be better, significantly better this year. Rizzo. He's with the Twins. Okay, Anthony Rizzo's numbers are going to be significantly better with the Yankees this year because you can't you can't shift anymore. They have to stay in a certain position in a certain place. They can't get out of that box. If they do, obviously, I guess it's a hit. I don't know how they're going to judge it, but I don't know the rules and how they transition. The Players rules. can move after the pitch, but that's it. They, they have to stay in their spots before that. Oh, then, 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 then there's no more shifting. It's going to change the game. It is absolutely going to change the game. It is going to open up offensively. There's going to, as a matter of fact, I believe that in the first two months there'll be more runs. These these two the first two months of the season than it was it has been in the last ten years in the first two months. I look at a lot of different factors with the pitchers too, trying to adjust to the way they used to pitch because you could a lot of times when you had these shifts, these creative shifts, you could pitch have them guys pitch into the shifts too, where you could do pitters, especially pull Did you ball see what, hitters to do. You that. see what Snug's saying? Banning the shift in is garbage. It restricts the defense's ability to defend. I disagree. You are when you are, and I'll say this again because when you're drafted, you're 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 drafted to play your position, and when you're shifting, when you have a third baseman playing as your shortstop or a third baseman playing your as your second baseman, and your shortstop playing as your first baseman, and your first baseman playing as your outfielder, that doesn't make any sense. And and and, and I understand. Well, learn how to pull the ball or learn how to bunt. To me, when you're Train, when you train yourself to swing as a youngster, to change your swing is, is difficult, especially with the speed of the game, the way these pitchers pitch now. They pitch over 100 and, 105 now. Certain pitchers play, pitch over 104 miles per hour. It's a different game. It's changed. So to, le- to learn how to teach yourself or teach yourself how to swing differently in the offseason, it's difficult. Ask Alex Rodriguez when he changed his swing. Ask some of these great hitters when they had to change their swing. Kevin Long... I mean, obviously, Curtis Grandison, it helped Curtis Grandison out. But there are certain hitters that when you, when you change your swing, it's different. It's a completely different. It's garbage. And I disagree. I don't think it's garbage. I think it opens up the game. And respectively, uh, you see all these top shortstops and all these third basemen that are good defenders. Let's see how good they really are now. Let's see how good they are when it comes to not shifting and having the shortstop play the third base, playing the third base, and the, and the third baseman playing a little closer to the line because that's where they like to pull the ball. Now you wonder, Snug, to go to your point too. Also, if the way that the lineups change and even some of the swaps that they can make because of how versatile certain infielders are too, and I think managers are going to incorporate that dependent on how deep their team is too, because we've seen a lot of players 
that could play a lot more positions versatility. That's why they have this year, the, for the first time ever, they had a utility man gold glove award this year. And it went to somebody on the Cardinals. I think Tommy Edmond got it because he played second base, left field, and right field so well. And don't be surprised if they end up incorporating those kinds of concepts as the counter to banning the shift in terms of the initial position of the ball because the players can move after the, the pitch is thrown and that'll depend a lot on their reaction time and certain set plays that these guys are going to have to counter certain pull hitters because yes, pull hitters are still going to hit be pull hitters. And you're right. They're going to be a, a lot more aggressive when it comes to hitting to that side, because there's not three guys on the infield. Now that also could increase strikeouts. That also could decrease walks. So we'll see how much it actually impacts the team and the on base percentage, but yeah, they'll definitely be right away at least more offense until these teams know how to adjust. But I think the loophole will come within the lineups, depending on how versatile their teams are. Cause we've seen so many versatile infielders. Now, a lot of good guys that just don't play one position anymore. I, I, I think it's great. I think it opens up the game exponentially. exponentially. Uh, and, and to me, the way the game is transitioning, uh, and it's become more of a pitching game and a defensive game, um, I, I want to see more runs. I want to see more home runs. I want to see more uh, you know hits. I, I see one, more triples and doubles and singles. Uh, and I think when you evaluate the way the game has changed, and, and it, it's been around forever. It's been around since the beginning, but Joe Madden has changed the game. He He's the one that really changed the way you know teams decided analytics, and, and, and that had a lot to do with Tampa. Tampa is one of the, the organizations that changed the game through analytics and how, how to define analytics and, and the way it's, it, way it's used in the game of baseball. And now everybody's using it. And shifting, w- w- now that shifting is no longer there, there will be analytics, but it'll be completely different the way you're going to analytically solve these situations when it comes to certain, you know, certain parts of the game or man on first and second or man on second and third with one out. You're going to be able to understand how you're going to play that you know, as the game progressively moves forward. So uh, I think this is good for baseball. I think it, it, it'll open up the game and it'll add more runs and make the game more fun to watch. Uh, Snug also says, why not have preset marks on the field to the requires the fielder to stand on the mark? It's not, it's not that, though, Snug. It's the range that they're in. I think what they were trying to do is they're trying to prevent the drastic overshifts. But you, what, you're sure going to have positions where the infield has to come in to, to throw a runner out of the plate. And there's also going to be times in double play depth, too. So that's not going to go away. So restricting it that much, I don't think I think that's a little too extreme as it is, because the movement itself is going to throw some things off, too, especially if you're not a great range defender as it is, because infielders, some of them can save run with throwing the throwing arm across their bodies. But still, if they're moving in different ways, it's going to be hard as it is. So having preset marks where they're stoic is not going to help even more snug. There's already a lot of disadvantages to this as it is for the fielders. I don't think having one set mark on the field like they do in soccer is going to be very hard. All right, guys, we'll be back tomorrow at 9 p.m. Who do we have on tomorrow? Uh, one guest that we know of as of right now, 9.30, we will have uh, JT Byrne, tight end, who used to be with Oregon State. Now he's actually transferred to Cal now, mm. who's been on our show twice. And he he was on, uh, I think, in March last year, most recently. But he's now with Cal, no longer with Oregon State. He'll be on at 9.30. By the way, ladies and gentlemen, we are not going to have a Wednesday and Thursday show next week. I will be in Toronto. But we're going to have a four-hour show on Monday, yes. And who do we have on Monday? Speedy? On Monday at seven thirty, we were supposed to have him on a couple months ago. Uh, Ex Giants and uh, Commanders linebacker Lavar Arrington, Penn State legend as well. He was at the Rose Bowl. And at ten o'clock, we will have 
One of the Gronks. Yes, Chris Gronkowski, who played for the Patriots and Steelers, obviously Rob Gronkowski's younger brother. So we're going to have a Gronk on the show. Yes. So, uh, but uh, we will be back tomorrow at 9 p.m. It's going to be a great show. A lot of content, a lot of craziness. Maybe we'll have Jeff call or he'll probably call tomorrow. He didn't call tonight, so I'm sure. <laughs> He will call tomorrow. But uh, thank you to all the fans. Thank you to our guests, uh, Michigan Whitecaps manager Brian Pena, and obviously the Eagles and Phillies Spanish language broadcaster Oscar uh, Budahan for joining us. He was fantastic yeah. as well. Uh, uh, thank you to all the fans throughout all our social medias and and throughout the market that listens to us every single week and 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 our network and. Just everything. Thank you to all all of you guys for really supporting what we do here. And uh, on 103.9 FM, as we have the number one show on their network as well. Um, again, we'll be back tomorrow at 9 p.m. Good night. It is the Worldwide Sports Radio Network.